Yo, what's up, guys and gals? So uh, we want to try something a little bit different. And uh, as you've watched and listened to Gravity Lab, we've had ads. And uh, man, it's it's just awkward. It's weird. We've thrown ads in the middle of the show, just kind of that organic conversation. And they, they've plugged in really well for us. And we've also actually gone and uh, put the ads at the very beginning. And, and for me as a consumer, as a listener to a podcast... I actually find the host getting the ads out of the way right away just a little bit easier, a little bit cleaner, where it gets clunky listening to it in the middle. Um, so I, I like it knocked out. Uh, I like it get it out get get it out of the way. But hosting the show, our guest is sitting here listening to us, listening to us do these uh, ads, and then they get a little awkward for the guest, and we lose momentum, we lose energy. So uh, we start with the first maybe five or ten minutes shooting the shit, talking, get, getting to know each other a little bit better, loosening them up on mic, and then we do two minutes, three minutes of ads, and we lose that energy. So what we did tonight is we started in a normal process. We started the, the way we uh, normally would with shooting the shit, hit the music, went live, lost no energy, and, and what you're about to hear is a absolute wonderful visit with Norman Kent. The man can tell a story. But what we've decided to do is preload our ads. So uh, this is after the show. Uh, Mr. Kent just left the house. He's taken off to do his thing tonight. And I just want to share a little bit about the people who sponsor our show. Tonight, uh, uh, Infinity Velocity Sports Equipments, they make the Infinity rig. Absolutely one of my favorite rigs. You've heard us talk about it on the show. You'll continue to hear me talk about it. Uh, Kelly Farrington is, is the owner and just absolutely a man who has a passion for skydiving. Uh, you'll find Infinity is one of the more affordable rigs on the market at its baseline price, and rigs have really gotten expensive nowadays. Uh, Kelly is a firm believer that you should be able to still get a rig you want and a rig that you love at a price you can afford. So by all means, skydiving equipment is still not the cheapest on the market, but check out VelocityRigs.com, man. You'll find really affordable rigs. You'll find super customizable rigs. You can take them over the top and also make them the most expensive. Uh, the blacked-out stainless steel looks so sick embroidery anywhere and everywhere you want to get it you guys pay attention to the show you know mr p will be uh, busting out with his new infinity soon check out velocity rigs you can uh, email vse at velocityrigs.com or whenever you're placing your order and special instructions mention gravity lab radio if you mention Gravity Lab Radio, you'll get a free mesh pad, uh, mesh back pad upgrade. That mesh back pad upgrade, man, so much breathability. Some people think that stuff is on there to 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 um, make it softer on your back, and it's not nearly as much about that as allowing the rig to breathe, allowing air to pass through, and not just be a sticky, sweaty thing on your back. So use Gravity Lab Radio, get that free mesh back pad upgrade. You'll love it. It's super nice. It's super comfy. Also would love to thank Andreas. Andreas of the Good Guys Detailing Company. Andreas has uh, been a, uh, a supporter of the show for a long time. He actually heard that Justin and I have cars that we really love and we really enjoy. He hit us up. We were customers first and foremost. And uh, he came out and did a full detail, three-stage polish, and did a protectant coating on my car called ceramic coating. That ceramic, uh, that ceramic coating absolutely keeps my car beautiful, keeps it clean. You don't have to go to those high-end services to use uh, Andreas. You can also do just your basic washing uh, uh, um, detailing. Andreas will do this on aircraft, on boats, RVs, cars, trucks, you name it. He does it. You've got a beautiful whip, you got a beautiful ride, and you want it protected. He will come to you. He's mobile throughout Texas. Uh, just Google 
The Good Guys Detailing Company. You can look up on my Facebook, The Good Guys Detail TX. Instagram, the same thing, The Good Guys Detail TX. Give them a checkout. Give them a holler. If you mention Gravity Lab Radio or you show them a valid USPA membership card, think valid, he means uh, current, you get 10% off any of your uh, basic services. Um, he's been in business over 17 years. Give him a holler. Give him a call. The dude does outstanding work. If you have time and you're at Skydive Spaceland San Marcos, run into EP's uh, cafe. He's running the cafe there now. Give him a holler and say, yo, bro, I need you to clean my car and make it look sexy. Guys and gals, with all that shit out of the way, I hope you enjoy this visit with Mr. Norman Kent. Absolutely wonderful. Norman Kent has shot movies all across the board. From a basic, you'll find out uh, his first movie he shot testing a camera, Cowboys and Indian Little Thing. Uh, interesting little story. From there, going up and shooting the big league stuff, Triple uh, X, Get Smart. Kingsman. He shot world record head down attempts, uh, belly attempts, you name it. Norman Kent has done it in skydiving. He tells a beautiful story with the lens. He tells a beautiful story on the mic. I hope you guys enjoy this visit just as much as we did. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah! Give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Is that right? Gentlemen. What are you doing to my computer over there? OBS is having troubles. It is brain farting. Mr. Norman Kent, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Sorry about the confusion with the start. <laughs> it's uh, We sometimes try to explain what's going on to our guests, but there's some extra things going on tonight. How, what are you doing over there? Surfing porn? Yeah, you know. <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> no, no, I'm actually trying to grab that link and, and share it with a couple of people so they can join us, too. Okay. Just making sure, man. You never know. He's over there smiling, snickering on his little laptop. L- looking at the laptop. <laughs> looking at the pretty girls go by. Yeah. So tonight, uh, first of all, to our fans listening, sorry, Mr. Nick Lott is not going to be here tonight. He is feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, he's being a girl. He's got to pull on his man panties and uh, suck it up next time. Uh, but Justin is in tonight. And tonight, our guest, Mr. Norman Kent, this is definitely somebody I've been looking forward to hanging out with. How uh, how are you doing? You caught up there? If you got to finish, uh, no, keep no, going. I'm doing, I'm doing good. You doing on. good? I'm just almost there, almost cool. there. Cool. So um, while we're waiting, man, we'll talk a little bit with uh, Mr. Kent about Jump for the Rose here in a little bit. But I do want to mention to our friends and our family watching this, Jump for the Rose is this weekend. It is the Jump for the Rose boogie. Uh, Marion used to call it a mini boogie, and I'm like, there's nothing mini about it. She's doing a, a great job. She's raising funds for breast cancer. Go to jumpfortherose.org.org, click the donate button, throw down. Marion Sparks has raised over $100,000 for the Rose. The Rose is a nonprofit breast cure uh, treatment place. A lot of these places, Susan G. Komen's awesome, but breast cancer research is great, but curing women who have problems today. And our friend Marion actually got uh, treated at the rose so this is all going to a good cause this is saving women's lives today check out jump for the rose but now we've got mr kent with us hey how's it going good i'm happy to be here and uh just i'll just jump in with something because i wanted to continue the thought you had uh i'm here because of that i'm here to support the event jump for the rose and marion wanted to if you go donate a hundred dollars for that truck uh, make sure you put your phone number in there to say that you're donating it for 
the uh, raffle of the of the Jeep. It's actually a Jeep. And uh, so, anyway, please help us out, man. We were all trying to raise some money, help, help her raise money so for a good cause. So help us out. And now I'm ready to, to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. <laughs> man, I want to, uh, first of all, share some of who you are with a lot of our friends. A lot of people hear and see the name Norman Kent, but to them, that's just somebody behind a camera. Um, how long have you been sky jumping? Well, I've been sky jumping uh, uh, 43 years now. 43 years. 43 years, yeah. years man. I'm it's so actually 43 years in August, yeah. I'm so happy I can say I'm older than you've been skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> One year. <laughs> One year. <laughs> well, actually, two years. I'll be 45, so. Okay. You said so 43. I lost yeah. math now. That's not good. Um, wh- uh, where did you start jumping? I, was, I started in Mexico uh, in a little drop zone called Tecasquitengo, which is about an hour and a half from Mexico City. I was raised in Mexico for my first 20 years, so I'm, Spanish is my first language, and that's where I discovered skydiving. And uh, about a year later, I said, I want to I grow in skydiving, so I moved to the States. What's so, your heritage? I mean, you were, you were raised in Mexico. Are you Latin? <laughs> I was afraid you were going to ask me that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a little bit. Of, uh, there's some things I can share and some things I can't because I, oh, no. I don't, I don't want to get thrown in jail for it. <laughs> 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 but oh, basically, the bottom line is I am an American father, Spanish mother, and I am uh, born in El Paso, Texas. And oh, wow. I was raised in Mexico, so I consider myself a, a Mexican at heart, pretty much. I, that would make sense. Yeah, I mean, and, and then I moved to to Los Angeles for 15 years, and then to Florida, and um, and uh, I'm there now. So, so what got you hooked? On, well, how, first of all, how many jumps do you have now? 43 years. I have about 28,000. 28,000 plus, yeah. just a couple, just yeah, a few more. A couple. Now, what when you first started jumping? A, what got you to make your first jump? Well, I wish I had an original story, but every time I tell my story, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that was me too, <laughs> which is that I was going to do it just once. You know, I, yeah. I was into a lot of different things, motorcycle racing, and I uh, just wanted adventure, and I uh, wanted to try it once, and, uh, you know, the typical story, they actually, it was a static line jump, and they tried to sell me a package of five jumps that was only maybe 30% more than with the first jump. So it was very little to go on another four jumps. And I was like, I'm not interested. Don't, don't, I'm not going to bother with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I jumped and it was just one of those things like everybody else. And it was peaceful and it was awesome. And the view and uh, just the sensation of letting go and going for it. And uh, and I remember my friends rushed to me when I landed in the middle of the corn. And, <laughs> and, and they were... Uh, like, well, what was it like? What was it like? You know, because we were waiting all day to do it. And, and they just watching, just supporting me. And I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And 43 years later, I'm doing it still. Man, and you do it with a smile every time. I, I first ran into you and met you at Rantoul, Illinois, the Free Fall Convention. And gosh, maybe 03. I, I forget the year. And it stood out to me those days that you just have this glow to you. You just are happy on the DZ. And every time I see you here in, in Houston, it's the same way, man. What keeps you alive? What keeps it going for you? Well, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think I learned a long time ago that, you know, being being happy is an attitude. It's not about what you're doing. It's more really the approach you have on it. And uh, well, I think what keeps me, I, I think also it's it's like the beauty is something that you you see, but it's, it's clear that everybody sees beauty differently. You know, something that one person would think is beautiful, somebody else wouldn't. And it's all in taste. So 
it is to me a choice. It's kind of like a choice to, to love or not love or hate or not hate, you know. And so I, uh, I think of what I do as something that I really want to be happy about. And I want to do things that make me feel great. And this makes me feel great. And so I, I just think that's, that, that's what keeps me going. It's not a, it's because I don't, I don't think of it as the, the sport or the jumping is what makes me happy. It's more like uh, I'm, I'm happy before I go jumping. And then that's just like an expression of it. And I, I discover things through the jumping and through the perspectives. And it's, of course, through the shooting, which is, you know, we're talking a lot about jumping. But yeah. uh, my f- number one passion is shooting. And I actually jump so I can shoot the, the, the skydiving. Now, to be clear, you he's know. talking about video and pictures. People. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, not, shooting, I'm, not shooting, not, <laughs> I'm not shooting Bambi, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's coming out with an AR aimed at my head. I'm dodging bullets. No. <laughs> so skydiving, it's, man, so refreshing. I love what you say because I hear a lot of my friends talk about chasing happiness and chasing happiness and and. You know, they say grass is greener on the other side. No, grass is greener where you water it. It's your choice to say, I want this to be green grass, so I'm going to choose to be happy about it, and I'm going to choose the outcome of my emotion. And and the questions my friend ask me, friends will ask me regularly is, how do you make that choice? Because I get caught up in making the wrong decision, wanting to feel angry. What would you tell them? How, how do you make that right choice? Um, I, I think for me is it's just it's it's not so much like a the the choice is made based on the outcome you want in other words if you don't want happiness then you need to at least be honest with with yourself and 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 when you're confronted with that question when you're confronted with you since you have a choice since as human beings we do have a choice of how you look at things i mean look at people that really get a uh the short end of the stick in one situation or another and they still can see good and look at people that are complaining about uh, everything and they're and they have it good you know so it's really a, a very much a choice so so when you're confronted with the okay since i have a choice if I choose not to be happy, then you really have to take responsibility that it's that if you adopt that line of thinking that that it's you that put you there, and that's a lot easier than to jump into the yeah I want I want to have fun because I, you know why would I want to be miserable especially if in if inside you kind of have this personality where you want to be miserable, you know this is a way to confront it and go no I don't want that you know you want we want to think that it just happens to us but if you adopt that thinking that uh, that you have a choice. It's kind of like love, you know. You you can look at somebody and go, man, I love every every bit of that person, you know. I like uh, every feature, every wrinkle, every smell, everything, you know. And and yeah. uh, and it and that is uh, the same kind of choice, you know. And and if you if you just hate everything, then at least you need to be uh, confronted with that. That that okay, that I'm a person that doesn't like anything, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just uh, sometimes it's on stages or whatever. But um, I think uh, also for me, I. I um, the photography is almost like a um, kind of a something I do from beyond, you know, like mm-hmm. something that that uh, I almost feel like my my I'm being used to as like as a like a nature uses my body to achieve certain you know certain things not you not used in a negative way, um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so I think that. Uh, for me, it's like a passion. So I say that because I do my best work when I'm least conscious, when I'm more automatic, when I come back and go, 
oh, where have I been? What happened? What, you know, whoa, I just missed that. And, and then my best work emerges. And I'm going like, and I used to have trouble with that because I used to uh, do that a lot and then go, I can't take credit for this. I wasn't even there. You know, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't present. And, uh, and that would be a struggle for me. So in this case, it's, it's kind of like because I have that journey going for myself, then it's a, it's real. Um, it's a lot easier to just go. Okay, I want to be happy. I want to jump and and I want to be happy because it, I want to I want to be in. You can't be uh, negative and 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 uh, you know I guess suspicious and all these other things, angry and and then have that kind of a connection. It just doesn't happen. Those kind of connections happen more through ease and through believing in yourself, through getting out of your own way so you can just be rather than thinking, you know, and, and those kind of things don't happen in the in the negative side, you know, to me, my experience anyway. I, I don't connect when I'm negative. I don't I don't have the, the answers and I don't have that. So so I guess uh, that's one of the ways that I that I find the drive because I like being there. It's like who wouldn't want to be there? You know, yeah. who wouldn't want to be in that state of mind and, and, and go after it, you know, and and that's why I, I, um, I do the I do my little video vignettes that are to share some of these experiences and what I got out of something, you know, what I got out of not quitting or what I got out of my last one was called uh, uh, Don't Let Go. You know, and now I, you say your little video vignettes. Am I missing something out there on the interwebs? Well, you ought to, yeah, you ought to check it out. Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> I thought you said, oh, you were my fan. <laughs> uh, I, I have this show on the interwebs, but I'm, I can honestly say I'm not great with Facebook personally. Yeah. I do decent with it for work, the rating center and Gravity Lab stuff. But after that, man, there's too much, like, Man, chaos on Facebook. So I, I miss a lot what's going on on social media. I feel well, like my dad. Well, actually, you don't have to be in Facebook for that. I guess social, social media would be the way you would find out. But you're welcome to subscribe to my YouTube channel, and that's where I put uh, where I put all the stuff. And I believe you would get a notification if uh, when, when I post a video. Yeah, um, if you go to, to normankent.com or normankent in YouTube, um, I'm not, to be honest with you, I don't have the address here. I, I, I always want, what is the address in YouTube when you, I don't even, like, yeah. in, you know what? What's one of one's address in Facebook? I don't or, or in YouTube. I'm not even sure how that. I have no clue. I'll find but out I here. Find we'll you. We'll, yeah. Why don't you find me? And we'll, I'll bet we'll, you here in a second. I'll tell you in a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We'll talk about it. But in there, there's a few video vignettes. Uh, uh, you know, things that that uh, that I did and that I learned a lesson on or whatever. They're very much personal shares, and I think um, you know that's that's where I explore some of those things. In other words. A lot of times you push for something and then you, you get something or you miss something. Missing is just as important. You know, sometimes I visualize a shot and I want to go get it and then I miss it for some one reason or another. And there's a lot of insight on that because, um, you know, you, you don't, we don't own any of this. It's kind of like, a, it's like life. You don't own it. It's more like how you spend it. So it's just as important to enjoy a moment where you missed something, where you went, oh, man, I almost had that shot. I just... And, and really uh, embrace whatever you can learn from it and embrace that, that, that maybe you got a glimpse at something, you just couldn't capture it. And so that time, you, as a photographer, you can't share it, which is my main goal. But at least I, I had the pleasure of being there and experiencing it, whether I captured it or not. So all those things, I don't know how I'm, we're sidetracking. Dude, that, this is how this works. <laughs> what was the recent one you just did that you mentioned? Uh, it's called um, uh, Don't Let Go. From YouTube, in YouTube, look for Norman Kent in my channel. I we, found it. Yeah, the channel name's normankent.com. By okay. the way, I posted the link in the Facebook stream. 
Great, awesome. So you Dude, guys should go check job. it out. And uh, you can, if you don't want to listen to some of this blabber or this blabber for a few minutes, you can check out the video and come back, you know, because <laughs> we're going to be blabbering for a while. No, people I think are used to this. Uh, we, we define this show as an organic conversation. It's just a bunch of friends sitting around talking trash. Uh, and we've even had jumpers tell us, man, it's like I'm sitting around having beers, talking to my friends, listening to telling stories, but I'm not there. So we constantly get off topic. We constantly like, dude, this is already completely off where I expected, but I'm loving it. Um, I love the the idea of choice, and it's so important that we can learn to choose how we feel. Um, today I was confronted with a couple situations, and it's very easy. This can frustrate me or make me mad, or I can smile and kind of laugh at what just happened and walk away. <laughs> and, dude, it, I, I smile when I laugh. I don't know why, but I do. So I chose so. But one of the other things you mentioned in that conversation is is self-acceptance. It's not the word you use, but it's a description. If you're the person who doesn't want to be happy, accept that's what you're being and work with whatever flows there. I bet money you'll become happier. Become self-aware and self-accepting of where you're at because without those two things, can you really grow? Yeah, I mean, mean, there's a lot of ways to grow. Sometimes when you're stagnant, you you grow also, but... uh or you're down or negative, I should say, not stagnant. But uh, yeah, I guess um, there's a lot of ways to look at it. But it's a lot more fun to look at it with a positive attitude, I've found. And uh, and uh, I've been in situations where I was feeling really down and somebody pointed out to me something that made me aware that uh, I had done so much and I have experienced so much and that when I've experienced some of these things, some of these things that I've done in my life, I, in that moment I can think, boy, if I'd experienced nothing else, I'm happy. I'm, I have a complete life. You know, if this is, this, if this was the last good thing that ever happened to me, I would have I loved. I, w- I, would, I would be happy that I experienced this. You know, and, and then, and then uh, you know, other things happen on top of it, and they're good. And then something bad happens, and you kind of tend to forget that and go, ah, my life sucks. You know? <laughs> and, and it, but you really, I, I, I find that, that I can go back there and go, hey, don't forget those words that you learned or those, those thoughts that you learned when you were down and really forgot that you are really up, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with being down because you can't, everybody can't be up all the time, but, but to know that it's just a wave and to, that you really are more in the up swing or in the happy side, uh, because of a choice. And yet at the same time that, uh, it's okay to be down, you know, for a minute. Man, I, I've learned to accept my downsides because I actually think I learned the most about myself during those down moments when I'm up, I don't learn much about me. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's become important. Um, man, back to really sidetrack, not expecting that, dude. But <laughs> I love what you have to say. I, I want to move forward a little bit. You mm-hmm. keep jumping. Mm-hmm. At some point, you start shooting videos of skydives. And we're not going to focus too much on that yet. But I just want to give a little history. You've shot world record bellyways, mm-hmm. head down, mm-hmm. wingsuit, canopy. Mm-hmm. You name the discipline. Norman Kent can go out there and fly it. You might not be in the formation, but you're on all these world record attempts. Yeah. How do you get so good at so many things while getting good at shooting a good picture? <laughs> There's so many goods going on. Well, you know, I, I think I have to, uh, to answer that, I would have to start with saying that um, I have my biggest passions um, are photography. Photography and cinematography to me are one. 
and skydiving. And of course, there's other the personal ones too. But um, if I if somebody said you're having too much fun, you're not allowed to have two passions. You only can have one. <laughs> if somebody said that <laughs> for some reason, I don't know if that were to be were possible. But if that were to be the case, and I had to choose, then I would choose photography. And uh, even though we're in a skydiving world, I don't mean anything bad about skydiving. I just mean photography is what I discovered first. It's why what drives a lot of my skydiving, and that's mm -hmm. what I'm getting at to answer your question. Yeah, exactly. I see the visuals, uh, and I experience the visuals, um, and I visualize stuff, and, and it's really something that I want to capture, and I want to capture to share. When I first knew I was going to be a photographer, it came from an experience where I went, wow, this is so unique. I wish I could share it. I want to share this. And then I became a photographer to share that, to share beauty that I see, to share, uh, you know, situations and, and um, experiences and things that are inspirational in a unique way and to inspire people, but definitely to share what I see. And since that was the root of my photography and it's always been the motivation and the drive then it doesn't matter which discipline it's not i'm not in love with one specific discipline i'm in love with the visuals of all of them and they're all so unique and so uh you know different and so dynamic and it's so hard to keep up because the sport is going so fast in so many different directions Jesus. but I find that I am you know, attracted to all of them because of that. And I also find uh, that each one has its own unique personality of people. It's almost like a different, uh, a different species for each one. You know? So I, I get to visit all these uh, different disciplines and the different kind of people that make these disciplines and become one of those for, for a period of time. Uh, and I, I also, you know, should add that I'm not the best at any of them. You know, I, I obviously the people that devote themselves to a single discipline are much better because they spend more time and uh, they spend more time than me anyway in the sky. Um, so I'm definitely not the best. I, but something happens to me that's really, um, you know, unique, which is that, or unique, at least it feels unique to me, is that... Um, I my photography makes me better. It's almost like when I'm training, I suck at it. <laughs> I'm really bad, uh, and, and I can't re you know I can't retain or can't let make my body do what I want, what my mind is saying, and I have these bad habits for flying and stuff. But when I have, when my mind says, "Ooh, wow, look over there," you know, there's a cloud or there's a light, and there's light coming through this way, or oh, look what's about to happen, or you anticipate something, and you get like, "Oh my, I'm so excited." take me there, you know, and my mind goes, take me there, and my body just has to obey, and it just goes, you know, so, and that's the way I do my best flying, and that's the way I can keep up with, with the records and all that stuff, and um, I also, you know, I, I try, when there's world records, I go to the camps, why? Because I not only want to train, and want to, but I also want uh, everybody, you know, I want to be, I want to know everybody, every, all the different camps. So when we go to do a record, it's like we've all been jumping together in different camps. And, uh, and now we're just here to do this record. So it's not like, oh, I show up to the record and everybody's like, who's that guy? Or, or yeah, <laughs> who's yeah. the photographer? Who's the old guy? Or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, or, you know, or I don't, I the same situation for me with them. Who are they? I don't, I've never jumped with them. Instead, it's like I, we, we're all uh, greeting each other and all that, which is one of the great things about skydiving. So 
I think that uh, that also helps me be in all the disciplines. You know, like right now, I've been training for the wingsuit record. You know, I was I did most of the camps or a lot of the camps for the free fly record, and I was rewarded with a beautiful image that uh, you know that I take pride on, even though they didn't get the record. There was one out. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the way kind of it is for me. And somehow it makes it easy. But, I, you know, um, I do struggle through the flying and through keeping up with the sport sometimes. I go like, and, and you know, people, uh, you know, they know I don't, I don't claim to be the best flyer of any of the disciplines. But somehow everybody in the, their own discipline has respect for me because I do deliver what I'm there to deliver, which is the arti- artistic view of, uh, of these events and how beautiful everyone looks and flying in, uh, you know, in playground earth. You safely get some of the sickest shots. <laughs> That's the two things that make you go, get you there every time. I've been watching you work for years now. I mean, I've only been doing this 21 years, so half your time. Mm-hmm. But for 21 years, I've known who you are. You safely get the sickest shots, man. I, I know if there's a picture on the interwebs by Norman Kent, I'm going to be looking at something that's got a lot of heart into it. And, and it's neat because I always look at your images and see a passion. Mm-hmm. But hearing you talk about it right now, it's, it's more real. It's more live. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. And if anybody listening wants to, while we're doing this, looking, looking at some of the stuff we're talking about, you can go to normankent.com. And there, if you go to the galleries and then go to event galleries, it's actually photo gallery. Uh, in the photo gallery and event galleries, you can actually see in reverse order from newer to older some of these events. So you'll see world record uh, wingsuit, wingsuit world record camp or free flyer uh, record attempts or whatever. And these are actually the galleries for the uh, for the events themselves. So it's not like just my pick of a single photos, like everything I shot or not everything, but my selects from that event. So if you want to follow along and take a look at that, uh, feel free to go there. Yeah, and um, some of the pictures I've been sharing on the live stream have been from your website. I've been kind of perusing the whole time. It's yeah, cool. it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, they were sick at staring at our faces, so he put up your photos. <laughs> yeah, <instead. laughs> which I mean, they stare Just at me the, way too. The long. talking of the passion, it's like you need to see the pictures with with yeah. you speaking about that passion yeah. behind it. You can really see that. Yeah. If you don't, well, know, you know, it's funny yeah. because the uh, that would like for instance. Uh, well, I, I I guess I do this in a lot of the a lot of the um, records and stuff. But I've been in, in records where or in, in in events. It doesn't have to be a record. And sometimes people go like, they look at the picture and go like, what jump were you on? You know, that doesn't look like us, you know. But I think the key thing is um, I don't look at the jumpers as the, as the subject. I look at the jumpers as one element for composition on the subject, which is people playing in the air. So when you think of it that way, you include, hey, what, what cloud looks better? Where is the sun coming from? Where are the light rays can be more dramatic? And how can they um, uh, be composed with the whatever's happening in, in the sky as far as the skydivers? And which direction is the flight? And all these things that take, um, you take into consideration to make a decision of which way to aim and to which way to position yourself. And uh, so that makes the images a, a bit different because it's not so much what happens in skydiving. In fact, I, I mean, I, I want to say 50 to 80% of the time, uh, people ask me, literally, I, I mean, in all our jumps, you know, it's normal that people come to a cameraman and want to know right away, did it happen or did it not? Or, or what happened? Did you see? Or, 
And to me, it's like, I have no clue, dude. I mean, like, I was taking pictures, you know, I, I'm looking at you guys as a geometric figure that plays a role into my composition. I have no idea what you're doing. You know, it's really, and it really is that way. It's like this blur of people that I don't lock into. I know what you're doing, but, and I know the dynamics of it and all that, because I need to understand it to fly with it and to shoot it. But I honestly have no idea if you're wearing green or blue or if you got the dock or the grip or not and oftentimes when something goes bad it's, it's, for me it's like another opportunity to shoot again and it's also uh, you know if things fall apart sometimes there's these beautiful bodies spread out all over the place that happen to be in proximity you know or, uh, so when things go wrong sometimes there's a great picture there too so, so for me to know exactly what you're doing in the air um, and you know it, it's, not, it's not something I do I, I, don't, I really don't, don't pay attention to that and I, I guess that, that goes back to all this, which is I shoot in a way where, um, you know, that's my, the, the kind of pictures that I shoot are different for that reason, because I, I really shoot as, as a whole elements are, are in front of my lens and how I'm going to compose all of it, not just the jumpers. In that conversation of composition, I, I've always wondered, you're going out and let's say you're on the, the world record head down jump. Do you go out with a plan of I'm going to be here, here and here during these phases? Or do you go out and you're ready to, to freestyle, go like, man, I see this shot over here. I got to go take it. Um, I There's a little bit of both. Um, like, for instance, I have earned through the organizers kind of the the freedom to, to be the creative because I do deliver creatively and because it's what I do and I, I guess it's I, what I've been doing all my life you know and, and so that's who I am and, and the, luckily they grant me that but in a world record there's also responsibility there's uh, there's too much going on so you have to be respectful of the space that's available and in uh, quadrants and so on where other people are and so it's really important that even if you are f uh, doing something creative and, and have the freedom to do so that you stay within the parameters of the beast of the safety of the of, of everything that is that is there and you have to be respectful of that otherwise you lose the, the privilege of even being there so I, I so this it, it does have some kind of restriction but that restriction is is worth it it's or is overcome by the fact that it's so magnificent I mean you're there with the best skydivers of that discipline in the whole world and and they're challenging you to do your best and you're challenging them to do their best and and then it all plays out with whatever mother nature throws at us uh, you know as far as backgrounds and and conditions to to dance with you know like whether it's bad weather or good weather or whatever and and um, and all of that together is is magnificent you know so so then it, being a little restrictive is a small price to pay for for that and what I've found is that within the restrictions and the parameters that I'm talking about there's beauty there too. It's almost like saying, well, you take a picture and it's like, oh, it looks beautiful. He was in the right place at the right time. Well, there's more than one right place and right time. You know, it's just that one, that's the one I chose. And uh, an example I can give you, and I'm actually going to do a video vignette about this uh, or a video that we're working on now uh, about this is during the record, I was confronted personally with, um, with the decision of do I want to go shoot the formation or not so I do a lot of my creative work on exits and pre-completion and then you go and try to get a good picture of the formation from above so everybody can see the completed formation uh, and that's one way to go but that especially when you're doing it over and over it gets repetitive and and it's, it's less 
creative. It's more like, wow, there's my version of the, of the formation. Another way to do that would be, hey, what if I go all out for shots that are going to take me out of position? Like maybe I'm shooting people uh, going to the formation and I'm kind of going the opposite of where they're going just to shoot them. And then what that does is it compromises my position for when the record happens, you know. Like I may want to shoot something that's purely just watching the, like I did one shot where uh, I, I, I had the formation up above and I was below and I floated up to it and let it go and let it continue going rather than getting to level and going with it, you know. And that to me was just a way to show, okay, here it comes from above and there it goes to below, you know. And that was on a different perspective. But that takes me out of position to shooting the record picture because now I'm, uh, you know, thousand feet away from it when that shot's over but because i'm all about the photography i made the choice that i would go for the artsy and sacrifice even if it, it meant that it was like okay here's norman's view of that jump the record jump even if it doesn't show the formation and sometimes it's more like a background like uh you know the one that i thought was going to be the record the one that had one person out I had, um, you know, I went for the choice of the look of it, and it was completely a level formation, you know, shooting with the horizon, the background, the clouds, beautiful sunset. And to me, that was like, it's, if it's a record, this is my picture of the record. It, it, it doesn't show anyone. It doesn't show, the, you know, the people's faces, colors, grips, or any of that, because it's level, so it's just a blob of people. But it's a magnificent picture, and you do look magnificent from that point of view, and that's my interpretation of that specific jump. So that's kind of how I how I treat it, you know. That's a a cool shot. Just to mm -hmm. think that they were all just that level, that yeah. clean. That's a beautiful. Yeah, that's in that gallery. If they people go and take a look at it, it's a, one of the last pictures on the gallery. It's a, the sunset jump, and there's a just a beautiful of a picture of the breakoff, and that's in the vertical world record uh, attempts in Skydive Chicago. So that'd be one of my last galleries. So when people are, are um, browsing, you can take a look there. There's only the one beautiful sunset pic, uh, jump that you can see there, so it'll be clear to, to spot it. Pretty obvious. I think Justin's finding it. Um, one of the uh, things that you mentioned is you train and you practice these different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of... Uh, I, I shot video for a while on a free flight team, but we weren't very good. Somebody had to come in last. <laughs> um, but the video guy is commonly a, a role that a lot of people will fly because... Of various reasons but one of them is some people fly the video slot because they find it easier is what i'm told and, and i get that but to the point you're chasing everybody you know if i'm doing a three-way free fly jump me and my partner are working together and the camera guy's chasing us how important to you is it to have good skills in a discipline before you're flying video for it Oh, I think it's really, really important. Uh, and like I say, although my photography, my flying is driven by the by the demand of my brain saying, "Take me there for the photo." Mm -hmm. When your when your body is is um, you know used to it, and 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 it's uh, it has certain skills already built into it that you've you've done through training, then your your body is a lot more likely to go, "Sure, sir, you, let's go. I'll take you there." You know, and, and instead of going, "Are you kidding me? I don't know how to do that," or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have that struggle. So training is is very important. And, um, and, but there's also something very important that is important for training anyway, which is, um, it's a concept that, you know, that I talked about in my movie, Willing to Fly. It was a movie that I did some years back. It was my, one of my, uh, my last longer films. It's an hour film, uh, that was designed for the skydivers. Not, it wasn't designed for the 
although I did design it in a way where non-skydivers would like it also. But uh, in that film, one of the things we struggled with was the, the title. And I, 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 believe me or not, this is relevant to your question. No, dude, the title awkward. originally was Learning to Fly. And the concept was that I had was that if you are always learning, it doesn't matter how good you are, you, there's more to learn, whether it's about, you know, what, whatever, about being uh, uh, not so tense or about uh, just going harder or whatever it is. But no matter how good you are, you, there's something to learn. So it's, a, it's sort of keeping an open mind that we're always learning. And that's why the title was Learning to Fly. At a certain point, somebody challenged the title. It was through a through an open, um, you know, it was an, uh, like a forum where where we were debating things, and there was a actually a medium involved and stuff like that. And we were it was really cool, and we were, you know, we were talking about the title, and and it was brought to my attention that the title "Learning to Fly" was too shallow-minded. It was not in doing what it was intending to do, and I was like, how can it be? any more open-minded than saying that you're, you, you're open to learning and to continuing to expand. And, uh, and the answer that came was, well, learning is coming from an assumption that, you're already n that you don't already know and that you're not already a perfect being if you just allow yourself, if you just are willing to. And the working title changed from learning to fly to willing to fly for that reason. It was kind of like a, hey, you, you're already a perfect being. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be that perfect being? And that was why the title was that way. So in a way, that is part of, I think, what should be incorporated to the hard training uh, or any kind of training, which is to really think of yourself as somebody that can do it. And the way I apply that is through what I was saying, which is the photography drives it, and I just go. And now when I train, as a side funny note, like I said before, I suck at it. Because I'm thinking, you know, I'm going, yeah. and the instructor's going, okay, do this with your arms, and, and, and at the same time, do that with your torso. And I'm like, what? We're back to the thinking mode. Yeah. And one of the things that's funny is... Uh, um, I found I, I was uh, sponsored by by Paraclete XP, and uh, and one of the, th the relationships and one of the things that I um, that we wanted to explore through that sponsorship because uh, you know it's like oh, I'm not in the podium I'm not the best flyer so w w why would they sponsor me you know in a way I obviously am the the, the best at certain things um, but what really came to be an interesting journey was that I have this kind of a weakness that I think a lot of people have which is that. I don't like looking bad, you know. I like to look good, and uh, and I look good in a lot of different things, in some of my, my work, and a lot of different things. But I suck in the wind tunnel, you know. I completely <laughs> suck. And so then, every, and and part of what I had to overcome as part of my training was looking bad and not letting that stop me, because I was going to the tunnel and people were going. Hey, wow, look, man, oh, man, I can't believe I'm meeting you. I can't believe I, I ran into you here and all this stuff and all, you know, whatever. And that's cool. I'm so happy. What are you here doing? I'm, I'm training. Oh, cool. We can't wait to watch. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I want the tunnel to close so I can train, please. You know, I was like, I, I just know I look so bad in there. And it's like, it, it, just, it is true. It's like I, I, I have less hours than other people in there that can do better. And I think a lot of it is... Uh, you know, age-related, or I don't know what to do. I'm just a slow learner, and I don't mind owning up to it. But then my training becomes 
don't not go in the tunnel because you're afraid that these people who admire you are going to be disappointed and they're going to instead I'd, I'd rather own it which is what I'm doing right now right here in front of the mic yeah. and uh, and and know that that is part of my training it's like because a lot of times the decisions you make are, are get stopped because of fear or other elements in this case it's a fear of looking bad you know so I I can't let things like that stop me so I do go through a lot of training, including that kind of training. So when things are, are in front of me, I'm ready to perform, and it's all more automatic for me, and, and you know, I, I, I perform. Man, I, uh, I wish Nick was here. Nick would enjoy this conversation with you. I, man, that little bastard's sick. Uh, <laughs> your answers are just definitely mind-blowing. Mind I like what you're saying. I want to ask more about these things, but we only have a limited amount of time, and I, I want to get into your real passion, and that's photography. You know, we've talked a little bit about skydiving, and we, we've touched on some of these ideas, but you are a photographer first and foremost. Mm -hmm. When did you first discover photography? Well, photography, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, for me, it's very interesting because it happened in one specific instant instance. It didn't happen through time. You know, like some people are exposed to, you know, their parents doing something and then they get turned on to it by it or something. For me, what it was is uh, I, I, living in Mexico, I was 14 years old. I hooked up with a bunch of friends or a couple of friends, not a bunch of friends. One was 18. The other one was 14. So we were just a, three punks that dreamed of this adventure to go into the jungles of Mexico, border of Guatemala, beyond where any roads are to to live with the Mayan Indians and bring supplies and things and help them out and learn their ways and just see what it was like. And we actually formed an organization that translated to something like um, um, youth society of, you know, volunteers or something like that. I can't, I can't translate it properly right now. Um, and it was, a, it was just something we created out of nowhere and it was to do this adventure. So it's a long, long story what we did and how we got there and how we almost didn't make it out. We, uh, we basically got lost in the jungle for three days without any provisions uh, and while trying to get it come out. But anyway, while I was wait, there... Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that's, 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 another, <laughs> that's another story. Hold on. How Holy did you get lost that's in another the two hours, for three buddy. days? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. But uh, what happened is we went in there. We've, we worked our way all the way in and then had some, some wacky experiences because they were not expecting us, of course. Um, then while we were there with them, one of my friends got malaria and was totally sick. Um, we decided we needed to come out and get some medical attention. So the three of us ventured out in the jungle. They, the Indians didn't want, the, one of the, or the Indians that was helping us, that was hosting us, we didn't want to come out uh, because he didn't want to go into civilization. So he only took us so far and told us, you know, just follow this little, you know, this little, um, I guess, little path, you know. And yeah. <laughs> it's like in the jungle, a path lasts 10 minutes, you know. I mean, shit grows in there, you know. <laughs> so we got lost, and, and we're lost for three days uh, to the point of no food and not wanting to just eat anything because there was a lot of poisonous stuff. And and um, and we ended, ended up hallucinating, lost in the jungle. Um, I, the older guy who had malaria started hallucinating first, of course, he was hallucinating snakes everywhere that weren't there, you know, snakes everywhere. There were plenty of snakes, but 
he wasn't. Not the ones he was seeing. seeing. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, then I thought, okay, it's my other buddy and I. And then at one point, he started with chasing a chicken, you know, and it's like, help me, help me. And he started chasing the chicken. (laughs) I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? And he's like, help me, help me chase the chicken. And I'm like, wow, I'm really on my own now, you know. And, um, and then not, I don't even know how long after that, I mean, uh, we, I started hallucinating a highway, you know, it was like we made it we, and we started like hitting, opening the, with the machete opening the, you know, the jungle and it's right here, it's right behind this and whatever. And I could see the cars, I could see the concrete and it was like, I, it wasn't there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we were, um, we were really, and I'll get to the answer. I just tend to go inside, inside uh, streets. So, um, you know, I eventually we just were like, oh, we're we're hosed, man. And somehow we made it out to this one little hut, this one guy that was there. And he looked at us like, what the hell are you guys doing here? This is like in the middle of the jungle, just one little house, a little like an Indian farmer. And and he saw us and he fed us and brought us back to life and kind of took us out of the jungle the rest of the way. And then uh, to roads and all that. So we made it out of there. And I was very frustrated because we didn't complete the mission. We were going to be there for two months, and we were there for like a couple of weeks, and it was not the experience I wanted. But what I saw there was so unique, the the purity and the basics of their living and the purity of their thinking and the way they dressed and you know the things that um, worried them were not the same ones that worried us in civilization. And I told myself I was going to go back and capture this, shoot this. I had, it was not a photographer. So uh, I, I, just, I said that to myself. And then after that, I, I was, must have been still on the mission because I didn't give up on it. And my aunt took me to a place she used to work, a pawn shop in the, in the States, although I was still living in Mexico. I visited her. And we bought a $25 Petri still camera and an Argus, I think it was, Super 8 millimeter camera, $25 each. And, uh, and I started learning how to shoot and just experimenting and all that, just self-taught. And to learn to tra- test the movie camera, I decided I would make a movie. So I made a, a cowboy movie. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually, uh, the, the film didn't come out. It was overexposed. So it was good that I tested it. But most people, I think, would have just waved the camera and tried to test it that way and see, you know, shoot a roll of film. Instead, I did a movie and then found out the camera didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we fixed the camera and then let's go make the movie again. So it was all just a bunch of teenagers, you know, running around. It's a cowboy movie where everybody dies, you know. It's just a really funky movie. Everybody dies hallucinating in the jungle. No, no, no. <laughs> it's like a love story, but it, there's the you know it's the lover and uh, and they're all my you know my my family and friends that are you know acting and all this. But it's like this love story. But then the the girl has a husband and then and then he catches them and takes the guy prisoner. And then the, the buddies see that and come come rescue him and get him out of where he was being kept uh, kept captive. Uh, and um, and then there's a shootout, and you know everybody gets slowly good dies, and then there's the husband, the lover, and the wife left, and the husband kills the lover, the wife kills the husband, and then she hangs herself. 
And that was the end. Man. <laughs> you just I killed know, but everybody It was really off. funny, believe me. It was funny. <laughs> so, well, actually, it wasn't meant to be a comedy, but it turned out funny. Probably because it was, you know, yeah. us doing it. Sounds like and, a typical country music song. Actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, that was uh, uh, me practicing with a camera and learning. And also, I did a lot the same with a still camera. And two years later, when I was 16 years old, um, I went back in the jungle with my girlfriend. We was I did not know... I met her in this period of time in between. And we went there and um, lived there for two and a half months, uh, learned their language, uh, or some of it, you know, and, and um, we're studying, we're doing things with them, learning their ways, becoming part of the family, hunting with them, going to, the, to plant, uh, you know, corn and whatever with them, and just being one of them. And, and uh, I had long hair down longer than my shoulder, and was wearing some of like the clothes like they were wearing and it was just like really living there and and shot it and made a documentary of it they make a 30 30 minute documentary of, of this and very very homemade but it was to me it was the, it was more of the drive it wasn't you know i thought it was great of mm -hmm. course when i look at it now i go oh my god it's horrible but <laughs> but you know for somebody without schooling or anything um i you know that was how my photography started i knew i wanted to do this so I could share what I was seeing, things that were like unique or beautiful or whatever. And I had had some bad experiences. I was very, um, you know, not in a good path before I was 14. So this was a good way after I got out of that path to kind of turn my life around. And um, and so it, I did that. And then my mother was so proud of me. And I remember it was funny because uh, we I was scared, you know, and we, we were. I, but this was the first time I was scared and. Because we it was very much like oh we're going and all the stuff. It, it, there was a little part of me inside that I wanted. I wanted my parents to stop me. This is when I was fourteen. I was like really, and you know I kept like, calling. Okay, we're we're almost in the jungle. Like we're almost the, <laughs> like we were. The, pretty soon there'll be no more phones, and now it'll be the, just the jungle. We'll start the walk or whatever, and um, and I was hoping they'll say okay, get that nonsense, you know, stupid idea yeah. out of your mind, come back home. And I go, okay, or I, they made me come back home, you know, but instead I, I was like, man, I, now I got to do it. So I did. <laughs> and they called your bluff. Yeah, they called my bluff. So when I came back, my mother was so proud, and she had friends that had a production company and uh, showed them the video. They was like, oh, I want you to see my baby's video, my baby. <laughs> you know, to her, I was always her baby, even if I was already 16. And... Um, and they liked what they saw for somebody that hadn't gotten any schooling or anything. They thought it was really amazing that mm -hmm. I had I knew what I wanted and what shots would lead to other ones in the edit, uh, and what shots were necessary to to fl have the story flow and close-ups and wides and all the stuff. And uh, and they hired me as an assistant, and they started teaching me all kinds of great things that I still use today, as far as uh, ways of thinking and and habits of photography and and perfect being a perfectionist and and respecting the mind as far as how you present the images so the mind can receive them with pleasure like like beautiful food you know like like exquisite food just like oh, it's, you know you, you eat it with such pleasure well the same thing with visuals you know when you present them right when you when it doesn't matter if you're in the formation you just love the picture um that's uh that's where you can get the message across of this beauty of human flight man it <laughs> First of all, what one hell of a story. Well, did I answer the, the, answer the question? <laughs> That's how I started photography. That's yeah. how you started photography, but <laughs> damn, the answer was, was well worth it, man. Um, you started, one of the things you mentioned was an 8 millimeter film mm -hmm. camera, mm -hmm. and you edited 
how did you so first of all what's an eight millimeter film camera help me out because a lot of our guests are millennials i'm 44 and i still have to ask the question yeah well what's funny is also that some people say i know what it is is this eight millimeter videotape that came out the high eight it's like no it's no. not that. It's, it's i know before, yeah it's before that <laughs> it's uh it's eight millimeter film was just a format of film there was these cartridges that were designed for uh when you wanted to do video movies moving yeah. pictures because there was no video uh, you had 16 millimeter film, which was more professional, 35 millimeter film for feature films, and 16 millimeter film, which was uh, actually, I'm sorry, an 8 millimeter film, which was actually 16 millimeter film spliced in half. And then it, the, the 16 millimeter film has perforations on both sides. So uh -huh. when they cut it in half, then it's 8 millimeter with perforations on one side. And Kodak and other companies created a, um, uh, a format that was eight millimeter it came in cartridges and people could buy cameras and stick a cartridge and shoot for a few minutes and develop it and that i mean there was even a, a format that's called eight millimeter it was a little bit different uh, before that but it's just film a film when the days of film you know and so that's how I started. to develop it how would you develop this film you would send it to the lab I, it was okay. not something you would self-develop like unlike uh still photography or anything uh, -huh. uh that i did used to frequent uh processing in my closet <laughs> or in the bathroom i remember i was like my wife would go like hey i gotta pee he's like no i'm processing <laughs> pictures because one or the other you know? <laughs> uh, you know. in college the art i had to do art in college yeah. of course i can't draw a straight line with a ruler um so i did photography in college and man learned to love it um yeah. nowhere do i would not say i'm a photographer i took mm -hmm. photography classes but the lab was one of my favorite yeah, times yeah, it was, it was. getting there with the chemistry and mixing everything light light exposure etc um now you've got this film developed this eight millimeter did you actually have to splice the video to get i did i, I did i i had to uh, you process it and then uh i had this little viewer that you put the film in it and you can kind of go back and forth and see it and it cut the scenes and it's it's uh, it's funny because um it's like i did every scene once you know it wasn't like okay take two so it was almost like uh just splice each scene and put them together in the right order so I did that. You had to, I had a splicer and a cutter, you know, cutter, which is a splicer, and then, a, a, you know, something you scrape the edge so it becomes a little more, uh, so the glue would stick better to it, and then you yeah. glue it together, and off you go. And I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I, I recently digitized that. I want to release it. I want to put it back yes. out like this is my first film. And I digitized it recently, and it, it's, like, still so well-preserved. Well but I noticed some mistakes. Like, for instance, there was... Uh, when you stop the camera, the camera has less inertia, and sometimes it would stop where the shutter is open, and it would just burn that that frame, like just too much light because it stays open. And uh, or when the camera starts, it, it would just kind of slowly wind itself into speed, which would create the proper exposure. And I like I left those things in, or maybe didn't see them because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it was my first film, it was my first yeah. time handling film. And I was improvising and learning as I went. So when I look at it now, I go, ooh, I can edit that out with, with digital now. I can just edit that out. And, and part of me goes, no, dude, that, I mean, you got to keep you it with the integrity that. of the yeah. world. Yes. You can't do that. You got to leave it, you know. So I, I, then I decided I'm just uh, going to embrace it and talk about it like we were saying earlier. It's like, no, I, I didn't know how to edit film. That was the extent of it, and that's what's there now. So I'm going to leave it as is. Dude, that's awesome. Please let me know when you do that. I'd I love will. to share. I can't wait to see, and I'd, yeah. I'd love to share that. Okay. So this now exposes you to a world of 
cinematography. And one of my questions that I think I'm already getting an answer to is, I, I don't know which one you like more, photography? You say it's all the same thing, and I get that. Or cinematography? Or is it more about still images or moving images for you? Well, I, it truly, truly is the same for me, um, meaning how much I love each one. I, I get into it just as much, but there's a huge difference. And there's it, motion picture is a lot more complicated, um, mainly because I think people are used to, they go out and they point the camera for one minute uh, and get closer and farther and do whatever they want to do. Some people want to carve around and whatever, and, and that's their shot. And I'm more used to seeing it as, as an edit. I feel like I'm an editor. So I, I often go out and, and think of it as, oh, here comes an opportunity for this cool shot. Like if you let somebody come into frame and go out of frame or something like that, and it's this beautiful shot that will edit great later, but people look at you and go, well, what, what, what happened? Why was the frame empty? Why would you let him go out? You know, they're, they're not understanding that I'm thinking as a cinematographer. And when you go that path, you got to create all the shots that later will become an edit. Your and, B-roll. And you got to and you got to create uh, spend the time to edit. And all is much more difficult, but it's very rewarding and very beautiful. So I, I sometimes I have to choose which one I'm doing like in, in most events I go for the still photography. And what's also interesting is when you're on the ground, you can only handle one at a time. But because they're on the helmet, you can handle several at once. But the mind, or my mind, really has to focus on one, and the other one suffers, uh, quality-wise. And it's so I'm I'm having to. In some cases, I shift in the middle of flight. I go, this is a, a, vi a video, and I just I fly it for the video. I compose it for the video. I hold my camera uh, and helmet uh, for the video and let things happen for the video. Where in other situations, says there's a still. This is a still, and I'll attack it with uh, so much. Uh, you know, so much, I guess I'm aggressive with it, which makes the video really violent. And perhaps sometimes I'm not even, for the sake of flying more aerodynamic, I may not even look at what I'm shooting just so I can get to where I need to go. And then my shot starts. So when you show somebody that video, it's like, oh, let me show, let me see your video of the jump. It's like they're looking at the video going, this is Norman Kent. He sucks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's because they're looking at what they're used to, which is beginning to end. But so, you know, it's very important to know and for me to know what I switch to motion and think motion and shoot motion, even if it's for a five second shot. Or am I in stills? There are two. And, and if I'm in stills, the motion could be going at the same time. And if I find something there that's useful where I was steady enough and had the right composition that matched the video, the, the stills, I'm sorry, then that video is worth it, that piece of it. Uh, and the other way around, if I'm doing it for the, for the uh, video, I may not be in the same angle I would for the stills, but I'm firing stills. And then uh, later on, I'll evaluate what goes on. And sometimes I'll go like, okay, I'll take this lens because I want to do this cool exit, but I'm not going to get anything in free fall uh, because I'm going to be f doing the stills or vice versa. You know, I may be going like, I'm going to do this cool still with this fisheye lens and I'm going to be like you know, 10 inches away from this uh, to make it look like that and warp it like that. And I got all this idea and, you know, sunset or something and exit. And then, but I know I'm going to be too far from the formation for shooting the video or something, you know. So uh, I make choices like that. But so, but I'm constantly engaged in both. So I can't say one or the other. 
it's it's kind of like the same question about the disciplines, you know. It's like I, I, I want them all. You just love everything, man. <laughs> I want them all. You love everything. It, it's so skydiving. Obviously, people playing together in the sky mm-hmm. is one of the things you love to share the most. Mm-hmm. But let's take skydiving out of it. Let's take aviation mm-hmm. out of it. What do you like to do? What What do you like to capture? What do you like to share with photography? Uh, I, I um, well, if people want to look at my photography, uh, they're listening. You can go to normankentphotography.com. That's a site that has no skydiving, and it has some of my photography. I moved it towards a wedding-oriented type site for a while, but it doesn't mean that's the only thing it has. If you go into the galleries in there and go to other galleries, there's a maternity. Uh, there's uh, portraits, there's fine arts, all kinds of stuff there. And I, what I love, to answer your question, that's where to go look, uh, some of my samples. But what I like about regular photography is that uh, one of the beautiful things, but limitations on skydiving is there's lots of them, limitations. Uh, for instance, uh, you can't talk. You can't talk in free fall. <laughs> and uh, you have 60 seconds every hour or every couple of hours or whatever. And, you know, and your life is in danger and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you're uncomfortable and you're supposed to be an athlete, but you're thrown in a can like a bunch of sardines and then you're for 15 <laughs> minutes in the cold and then you got to go out and go, wow, like spread your wings. It's all like there's a lot of limitations. But um, so when you get used to that, when you take the the survival side of skydiving and make it you become good enough at it where it becomes just automatic and you leave it at the door and your fears are gone and when you're you get good at all the other stuff and get intuitive you get to you, get, you learn to get intuitive because you have to anticipate in skydiving you can't be reacting to what you see because by the time you get to to shoot it it's too late it's gone so you have to constantly be kind of um, looking at the future as to and meeting that future in time in in a moment so you can capture it you can't capture the present unless you go there in in that future that you're seeing and then meet it there so that's a lot it's and what happens is your mind gets used to this so now you're on the ground and you can talk and now you don't have you're not fearing for your life and now you're um, you know, you have more time and you can do a take two right away or, you know, mm-hmm. and so that expands, uh, you know, y- your, your attention span is, is so much bigger. So when I'm not shooting skydiving, instead of going, oh, okay, now I can be lazy because of this. I use that, that, uh, intuition that I've learned in the, in the air and that, and all of those things as far as being aware and using your peripheral vision and all the things we do, and I bring them to the ground and use, and it's like s- such a beautiful thing because you, 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 when you're your peripheral vision, you get to see things that are about to happen so you can modify your angle or, or make your model aware of what you're doing uh, or, or, or you know, work with you for something that's about to happen, whether it's light-related or whatever. You get to see other people that are there, whether it's a client or family member, and see how they're reacting or what they're feeling so you can uh, capture what they're feeling also uh, and you get to talk about it and all these things so so I like playing with the same thing just in an environment that's a lot more friendly uh, it may not be as fun and it's a lot and it's restrictive in its own way like some of the things that I can think of that are restrictions you know we talked about the skydiving restrictions now let's talk about the ground restrictions I don't have a sphere which is what I have in the sky that I can use to travel on meaning uh, a sphere that lives outside of the subject 
in skydiving, I can get below it, I can get next above it, I can get uh, level with it, I can expand that sphere and go from a distance and do the same thing. But uh, when a subject like this, I can't go underground, you know, the ground is the limit and there's certain things like that that are not so three-dimensional. But I have other benefits. And so, but it's all just as intense. And that's the whole point is it doesn't drop in intensity. It just changes how you use that intensity and how you focus it. And, uh, and, there, and then come ideas like under, uh, underwater maternity. If you guys are looking at the site, you'll see some underwater uh, pregnant girls and, and things like that that I, that I love playing with, you know, because it's, um, to me it's like the, uh, the, the babies in the womb in, in water and then if the mom is in water also. It's like a whole picture of the, the, the life cycle kind of thing yeah, or the, the baby in, it, in the womb and the mother like, a, like if she was also uh, a baby, like she's a perfect being giving uh, life you know, to another being and surrounded by water so she can feel that, that same feeling that the baby feels, which is total comfort and, and total um, you know, safety with that you know so it's that's kind of like the emotion i'm trying to convey uh when i'm shooting that but th the ideas like that come and, and unique ideas happen and uh, i've done all kinds of stuff like that that's uh, very very cool you know e even self-portraits and stuff like that that are very therapeutic it's uh non-skydiving it, it seems no matter what it is on the sky or in the ground yeah have a drink man you're, you're help yourself can i stop talking for a minute yeah no <laughs> go for it it's amazing because uh it doesn't seem to matter whether it's on the ground or in the sky a you have a huge passion for people and b you love so it's right here on the valkyrie you love celebrating people on her wing there you go uh, so it's a passion of people, but it's also celebrating people. Almost everything you describe, maternity, uh, um, weddings, skydives, everything is, is about people. It seems like people motivate you more than anything else. Would you say that's a, a fair statement? A true statement? Yeah, I think it is, and that's, uh, that's kind of part of the answer when you, when you were asking me you know, about what I like shooting. I think the answer would be um, people, one of the things I like, but it's, it's not just people like portraits, it's people and the things they do, you know, whether it's in family mode and maternity mode and, you know, and, and action mode or whatever. So I love working with people. Um, so I think that's part of what I do photography-wise. I like a lot of experiments. I like doing, uh, I find that uh, the experiments lead to things that you just didn't even know were there, you know, like... Um, I remember shooting this this um, idea that was a um, it was a maternity couple, and um, so that would I think I'm, I, there's a sample on my maternity site. Uh, and what I wanted to play was with this experiment where I lit them from behind, so the light they were blocking the. Single I thought light. you were going to say lit them on fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I lit I put the single light behind them, so they were blocking the light, and I put a silk a large silk between us. So if I was looking at the silk because of the shining of the light, I can't see through the silk. But in their shadow, I could see through the silk. So I put them inside their shadow. So the shadow was a silhouette on the silk and they were inside their shadow 
in 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 yeah. this. In this. That so, is super cool. I think it's this one right here. That, uh, look yeah. over your right shoulder. Let me see. Uh, where am I? On to the far right. Oh side. yeah, that's it. That's one yeah. of them exactly. That yeah. is yeah. really neat. And it's not a Photoshop image. So those are things that you just go, hey, let's try this idea. What what would happen if you do that? You know, and and you. And and people are like, oh man, I don't know, we're tired. Or, or some people are very adventurous, and they go, yeah, okay, let's go. And but I, I one of the things I find is that people, they kind of look at me like, what the hell is he doing? You know, like they get tired of my experiments. Yeah. But then they see the results and go like, oh wow, okay, I get it. You know, and then it makes them want to help me more in the experiments. You know, so I, I do a lot of things like that. Um, I had this uh, this. Um, experience that I had once also I don't know how much time we have but uh, this experience that I had once which was I was uh, and I don't even know how I have a picture up there of that I think it might be in the finer arts the area there's one picture although the, the sequence is a five picture sequence I don't have the five pictures posted anywhere but someday I'll, sh- I'll share them it's a it's an experience I had where I was in a lot of pain I was going through something personal in my life that was causing a lot of pain I was um, you know, really kind of on the edge. I just wanted to get out of it. And, and I decided to do a artistic expression of that pain and to um, do a self-portrait. And so what I did is I went on, I have a, a little hut that, um, that's uh, kind of a storage shed that has a deck. And it's old. It's, it's like 40, well, I want to say, let's, let's see, it's about... Yeah, it's about 60 years old, and the wood is all splintering, and the nails are popping out and all that stuff, but it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, little deck. And I decided to shoot some nudes of myself, but the, the idea I had was, again, to put a single light that was, being, that was hidden and play with my shadows while I was naked. Not with my dingling shadow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, know I know what you guys are thinking. I thought you were going to say play with myself, but that's another story. <laughs> Yeah, that is another story. Hey, there's an idea. Silhouettes. Okay. <laughs> no, so I... Uh, <laughs> oh, God. So um, this is quickly deteriorating. No, so I ended up um, having this idea and experimented with it where depending on the pose I adopted, it, 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 I could feel the pain. And, you know, the pain, I was in a painful mode and I could express my pain more. And it was in the, in the shadow of that it would be elongated and distorted depending on which way I, I let the light hit it and which way my body was turned and how close I was to the wall. And one of the things that was unique was, well, not unique, it was just uh, an insight at the time, was that the shadow was obviously always connected to me. And the idea was to express kind of like two beings that are separate, but they're the same. It's almost like me talking to myself, like you're abandoning yourself when you're in pain, when you're out of balance, when you're, you kind of uh, abandon yourself as, as being whole without need for anyone else. And, and the dependency of, uh, or the, being used to something that goes, you know, you lose or whatever, somebody dying, whatever, it, it creates um, uh, you know, a little bit of a, where you're lost. And this was a way to play with that, those two beings, one being the shadow and one being myself. And the thing that was funny was that, okay, so here I was, and I didn't have a, a remote trigger. Of all the things, I got all the toys in the world, but I didn't have a remote trigger. So I would set up the camera on a self-timer. And I'm naked at a distance <laughs> <laughs> on this on this deck that's got splinters and nails coming out of it. So I push the button, run over there with the splinters and everything, and then go into the pose and feel this 
awful pain and make sure that the shadow was the right way and all in 10 seconds. And then I'd go, okay, it must have shot already. And then I'd go back to the camera all excited, go, what did I get? What did I get? And I'd go, oh, well, I didn't get that. Oh, what if I try this? And then go, okay, the self-timer. And then I'd go click and then go running as fast as I could. You know, and then you got to get into the pose. And in some poses, you got to grab your package and move it up because you don't want the shadow of it or anything. You know, so so take a little extra time. If you look at some of the poses, you would understand what I'm talking about. Well, the, I think there's I a think, picture. I think this is one, right? Yeah, that is one, exactly. You yeah. can see if I, my package was hanging out in the front of me, it would not yeah. be good. <laughs> so, or it would be good. Depends what uh, you're selling. Then we're back to those silhouette uh, shoot that we're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, that was it. And uh, and the but what I noticed in the process was that I was getting in because it was easy to get into into the pain emotion because I was feeling pain and it was part of the the photo and it but I was having so much fun running to the camera, see what I got, that I'd be giggling in one direction and then going over there and going, okay, now feel the pain. And feeling the pain. And, going, and all of a sudden I'm going like, okay, which one is it? Am I in pain or am I having fun here? What the hell, you know? And then pretty soon I re it was kind of a way to heal that, to laugh about it and go, this is so much fun. And then go like, okay, I'm in pain. and It's okay. It's going to be all right. You know, this, this is who I am. I shoot and I'm a photographer. And, and somehow through the shooting, I, I just became so much more comfortable with the with the the painful feeling that i was going through and and to be able to capture something that was artistically the results were really good i thought and like i said there's a, a series of five pictures that make this um this sequence and uh and I, I think it was a beautiful experience for that reason so this is a non-skydiving experiment and the other thing that was funny is there were several times when I want to say about three times where I'm there and, I'm, and all of a sudden I'm looking at the camera and all of a sudden you, you see this li lights coming around the corner and it's a car. So I'd run inside, you know, and it was like, <laughs> 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 okay, they're gone by. So I come back outside. Sex offender. And one of those times, one of those times was a police coming through the, through there and I'm going, I was like, oh man, I, and I was like on the wrong side of the deck and I'm running out, out there naked with the splinters and the nails and all that. But this time to get away and to, to, to close the door, and I thought for sure they saw me, so I, you know, I had to get dressed because I knew they were going to be knocking on the door or stopping. <laughs> what they are you didn't. Doing? They didn't. So they must have not seen anything. But uh, it, the whole thing was funny. It was fun. It was uh, therapeutic, and it really helped me heal. And so that's just another story of non-skydiving photography that is related to my experiments that I like doing. Man, definitely check out the photos. When you first told me uh, nude pictures of yourself and shadows, I'm like, what kind of freaky deaky stuff are we doing here? <laughs> and I see these photos, Justin and Sheridan. Definitely, it's a great photo. It is a great image. Uh, artistic, no doubt about it. So uh, if you're listening on the podcast, check out your phone. Pull over. Don't do it while you're driving. Uh, we will have a link to normankentphotography.com so you can find all of these images he's talking about. And it's well worth your time. Just tell your boss that you're doing research for whatever project you're on. <laughs> lie about what it is and check it out. Have some fun. Well, that's right. Um, one of your loves for for photography, cinematography, is is video and movies. Uh, you've actually worked with movies at some point beyond the Dead Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. It was beyond the Dead Cowboys and documentaries about the Indians. Um, I've done a lot. I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of work for... Uh, some Hollywood films, you know, so, and, um, yeah, it's been really, really great. It's, it's, uh, it's very different, you know, when, when you're working for a client that has a, 
you know, they have their own vision and they're, and you're more trying to help them achieve that vision, uh, you know, to capture that in a certain environment in this, in the environment of skydiving. Uh, it's very different than doing your own. Um, but it's awesome. It's the, it's the part that pays the bills. Certainly going to boogies doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> it's such, it's such a miserable way to make a living. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, but yeah, I've done, I've been fortunate enough to do a bunch of them. If you want to, Anybody listening wants to look at my resume, you can go again to normankent.com and just look at the about section and resume. Um, there's also uh, skydivingmovieproductions.com and you can see all my stuff there that's more work related. And some of them are, are it stand out more than others for me as far as fun. You know, some of them stand out because they make you the most money. Some of them stand out because you had the best time. Some of them make out because you were more fulfilled as far as a, a creatively. And like one of the stories that I can think of um, that really, uh, that I remember is working for the movie Get Smart, which is with Anne Hathaway and Steve Carell. And um, it's a comedy and we, I was commissioned to do the, the skydiving sequence, and somehow we talked the studio into letting us work remote. And what that meant is to work as a, as a splinter unit that was not supervised by the studio. Normally when the studio, <clears throat> is when you're doing something for the studio, there's a lot of supervision because it's normal. It's their movie, and they should. And it's also a huge machine that sometimes becomes a little counterproductive. Uh, like, for instance, there's somebody that's in wardrobe that, you know, has to handle all the wardrobe, including the jumpsuits and helmets and shoes and all that stuff. And if that person is busy somewhere else, well, then you don't have your jumpsuit and your shoes and your helmet. Where we're completely used to handling our own jumpsuit and helmets yeah. and <laughs> shoes and parachutes. We don't need anybody to do that. So it, sometimes it becomes counterproductive to have people helping uh, because of union rules and things like that. In this case, they let us work by ourselves. And I remember talking to the director of photography by phone. And we're going, we're, I'm going like, okay, well, we need to talk. Uh, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, I started, we were shooting film at the time. I said, what emulsion do you want me to use? And uh, that meant what brand of film and what model of film did she, did he, for a specific look, would he want me to shoot? And what frame rate on the movie camera? And you know what? What is? What did he? What did he like? What does he want? Yeah. And the guy, uh, you know, responded. You know what? I've seen a lot of your work, and I was hoping that you would tell me what we were going to do. And <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's cool. I, I, this is what I would do if I was in your shoes. This is what I would do. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, told him what emulsion I thought would be good, and what frame rate, and what lenses, and what my plan was, and all that. And I think that made him feel comfortable enough where he go, Okay, the, the guy's got a plan. And that just made me, when he turned me loose like that, it just put me in my best element because I like doing that. I, I know what to do. I know what they want. I know the things that they don't even know they want or they don't even know they need for their edits. Therefore, I know that if they just give me the ball, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do good. And um, it's my environment. It's, my, it's what I do. So they did that, and we would talk on the phone, and he would just kept saying, send me the stuff you keep sending it I, just everything you're sending me i'm loving and we were sending our own edits like we would do something that was like okay this belongs here but they they they're not gonna it's two seconds in this clip they're not gonna see it especially because they didn't order it so we would do our own edits so they could see this fits right here you know and uh, and then just as notes to the editor kind of thing and so that was a really big pleasure it didn't have the glamour of being there with all the big you know the uh 
the big trucks and all this assistance and all this stuff. But it had the the glamour to me is of working by myself, you know, and, and being able to to really deliver with what I know. And at the end, I think the the pat in the back that I received was the following. My my work in feature films always ends up in the trailer because it's uh, skydiving aviation is some of the most valuable part of action films yeah. you know so they always put it in the trailers it's it's rare that you do a skydiving film that doesn't have a, a clip in in the trailer and so i i always get to see myself in the, uh, in the trailer my stuff in the tra- in the trailer and in this case i was surprised with that what they did is they took Anne hathaway and steve carell put them in front of the studio they just had some little lights there as props so it's really very um, kind of behind the scenes look, mm-hmm. and they had them talking um, about, hey, we're going to show you a scene from our movie, and you know they get a little do a little uh, funny thing where you know he's going, okay, what are we going to show? And we go, oh, we're going to show the part where you, you know, where you blow it or something, where you almost died or something. And he's like, well, I don't want to sh- see that part because I look like an idiot. And and you know they have this little funny interaction and she goes yeah well so you know <laughs> like you always look like an idiot why don't we have a what's new yeah why don't we have a part where you'd look like an idiot and because well, there aren't any you know and so they're like just having this funny interaction and then after that they open up with a scene that i that i did you know that i did on my own obviously it was their scene and their writing and but it was something i executed on my own and they showed the entire piece, like the entire seven minutes worth of, you know how we, we skydives are very long, they're like the three or four minutes. Well, this <laughs> was seven minutes long. It wasn't just the skydiving. There was a part in the airplane and all that when they're talking and it leads to the skydive. But they showed that entire, it's like showing part of a movie, yeah. seven minutes of a movie uh, in, or five minutes of a movie uh, before the movie releases. And it was a free download in, in uh, iTunes. And so it was really cool to, that they said, wow, this piece is so cool. Let's show that as a promotional piece for the movie, you know. That's got to make you smile. Yeah, man. it was really cool. So, that's you know, that's, that's the, one of the experiences. There's so many and so many different films and, uh, you know. So you mentioned in this one they give you basically full creative control of the skydiving that scenes. That one, yes, on that one. How do. often does that happen more in your more recent history? Early on, maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But now I, people start knowing who you are. Well, there you know, there's very talented people in, in this movie industry, and they know what they want. Um, so it's not that common where they turn you loose like that. I've had that that uh, experience in uh, you know two or three times. Uh, but what I have found is that you know when you're working in a team, most of the time, even if you're not left alone, there are certain people like the director. I get along great with the director of photography and people like that because they 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 know that you're working for them you know you don't I, you never lose track of the, it's their the director and the director of photography you know you're really um, trying to help them with what they're trying to do so when they see you working hard and, and getting things for them uh, it becomes a, a really a, something where it's not my own but I get to help them and show them how things are done that they that they um, they may be not doing as well because they don't understand it like I do like all of a sudden yeah. they'll see me and I land and I'll run around to try to capture a landing that they're trying to capture with a camera on a tripod somewhere else where the guy's not going <laughs> to land, <laughs> you know. And I, you know, I just, I'm just knowing skydiving, you know, what they expect. And, yeah. and all of a sudden I'll go get a shot and they're over there. They got a crew of four people next to a tripod and they, you know, and, and they're trying to get that shot, but they don't, they don't get it. And there I, I just went and got it for them. 
um, just because I was mobile or whatever. And they're, and they're going, huh? And I'm going, okay, well, and, and they'll thank you for things like that. And all of a sudden I'll go, hey, I'll get the shot for you or whatever. I, I, in one of the movies, in a movie called Triple X with Vin Diesel, we did our part, this free fall part was short. And, um, and then they were doing some stuff with ground cameras. And I was like, man, you guys are not getting shot. Just, if you just give me a camera and turn me loose, I, 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 you know, I'll get it for you. And they was like, we can't. It's like you're not in the union. <laughs> you know, you're like you're in a different union. Uh, and but somehow the director talked to the entire crew and the uh, the the person in charge of the union, you know, and all that. And they was like, we're clearly not taking anybody's job away. We're not giving this guy a job that we're giving somebody else. This guy is already on the payroll. He's already here. Instead of reading a book because we're done with his part here, we, he, he wants to work. You know, it's like, why should we stop him? He's basically working for free. Get, get, exactly. It's like, give the guy a camera and, and, and a, a crew and let, turn him loose to get some shots for us. You know, we have, and they had to ask permission for that. And, and everybody agreed that, hey, well, he's not taking anything away. There's really, okay, he's not in the union. But I said, I don't even need the credit. It's like, just let me go play. Give me, give me some toys. Let's play, you know. And, and they, <laughs> And they did, you know. They gave me a camera and a crew, and I, it was so funny because I'm I'm trying to operate the camera, and this guy's slapping my hand like, "No, I do the focus for you." And I'm going, "Oh, I'm not, I've never had anybody do the focus for me. <laughs> you know, I always do it myself." You know, and then you're going somewhere else. Okay, let's go, and I try to pick up the camera. No, 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 no. We get it for you. you know that we're here to pick up the camera. You just you're you know you're the shooter. You're the director of photography, and it's like I'm so used to just doing my own stuff, one one man job. You know, so but in those situations, you feel like. Yeah, they uh, that you can contribute even if you're not solo, you can contribute because I think they just see that all you want to do is, is make movies. You just want to help out with the story, and 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 who 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 wants to say no to that? You know, if if that's the goal of the of the job, you know. You love telling stories, and it doesn't matter whether it's with a camera or, or telling stories about the camera work, dude. It's definitely a passion you have. I I want to ask Justin. Before you walked in, we double-checked the list of movie credits. I, I've, I've known a couple of them off the top of my head, but not the full list. Justin, if you can name one movie off the top of your head, what's the favorite skydiving movie that you've seen that Norman Kent has shot? Uh, the Kingsman. The Kingsman. Yeah. I yeah. really liked that scene, for sure. Cool. Dude, I'm going to... I think I rewatched it after it came out uh, at home and and just rewatched it to see, because most of the time, you know, a lot of it's fake, or you can tell the rigs aren't real, at home, it's like you can go frame by frame. You're like, oh, that's that's real shit. They're actually really doing yeah. that stuff. And I got to ask one question. Other on than when one. they got on the ground and like the canopy yeah. somehow magically <laughs> inflated Pull, and all that. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luke Akins has worked a lot with you mm -hmm. on these video projects, and he he likes to share one story with me at some point, or he likes to share a lot of stories. Um, but it's common on these movies on these skydiving sets. He's basically carrying your helmet to you. Mm -hmm. In the plane, making sure everything's set. He's just basically your 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 helmet caddy is kind of a way he's told a story. Was in Kingsman that he, you ended up helping him? No, no, no. And uh, in I don't know that he's ever been my assistant, but you know, normally he, I think he's, he's playing he's, down he's what he been, does. Yeah, yeah, he, he does because he's he's usually up there doing some important stuff. He's an amazing guy, and uh, but uh, it, it was in, in one of the movies. I think it was the, one of the Fast and Furious movies. Okay. That I was the assistant. And uh, what was funny about that, too, I was so embarrassed. Because uh, he was a, a camera, and, uh, and there was a couple other people, and uh, I was the assistant. 
and I it was my camera equipment, and I knew knew the gear, and I just want to I just want to be involved. I love being involved. Yeah. You know? So I, if I have to be an assistant, I don't mind. I don't have an ego about it. I, I'll play assistant. And but it was just one of the, it was one of those things where he was looking at me like, oh, there's something wrong with this picture, you know. And I go like, no man, don't feel bad. But what was really funny was that part of my job should have been to pack for them. And I don't pack. <laughs> I mean, I pay packers. So it was like, oh, my God, I'm definitely going to fail at my job. And I'd go like, guys, I'll pack for you. But I, I, I wouldn't pack for me. I really wouldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm horrible at it. I haven't yeah. done it. In, I don't know. I, I don't think I've packed in 20 years. You know, and I know when I packed last time, it was horrible. <laughs> so, I mean, I literally, I still do my, like I do a really tight roll, like a taco, you know, really tight, and then put it in one corner and then put it like a snake where it goes to the other corner and then goes like this. It doesn't fold over. It goes, folds like a snake, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and it looks like hell. Uh, but, but <laughs> so I'm like, you know, uh, you're going to put that thing on your head and you want one of my pack jobs. I, I'm not sure if you really, so they were, no, 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 no problem. We, we handle this. But it was embarrassing because it really was my job. So in a way it's like, okay, well we need to get an assistant that can do it all. But that's the good thing about me being there is that if something had happened to one of them or if something was needed that was on a, on a higher end, uh, technical advice or something, you know, I knew what to do. It wasn't just a, a, a I could be counted to to fill the shoes of anybody uh, there or I could be you know helping them with advice or anything yeah. like that so. one of Luke's favorite parts of that story are the thing but wait wait before we go anywhere yeah, yeah. before we go anywhere, I do want to say that um, Kingsman which you were talking yes. about um, that was a movie that I also enjoyed doing a lot because I worked with my son Ramsey and also with Craig O'Brien. Craig O'Brien was actually the one that got us the job and he, there was a room for two cameramen there and when we first uh, started doing this, the, the, the sequence was a little bit not as dynamic, but the, the, the director uh, of the second unit was saw some videos on YouTube, typical. It was like, I want some of this. And he, he wanted some free flying and stuff, so we had to bring in some. And that's how my son ended up working. He was, he was an assistant, and they needed free flyers, and he's like, I'm a free flyer. And I can <laughs> do that. Mikey Carpenter <laughs> was in the area. So that was a really cool thing about that movie. And you were talking about Luke? Oh, no. It just, uh, he, uh, the thing that he said is your humility through that process, mm -hmm. that you were ready to serve any role, to, to do whatever, and you just didn't care. You're like, man, I'm just happy to be here. You enjoy that process. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy that yeah. process, yeah. So Kingman is one that you, you liked. I actually wanted to get your opinion of how you enjoyed that movie. Yeah. My, uh, I don't know if I ever am. Actually, you know what? I'll own it every day of the week. One of my favorite skydiving movies ever, Cutaway. Mm -hmm. not going to say it's the best movie ever. Mm -hmm. um, Dennis Robin <laughs> is not the hottest actor I've ever seen. <laughs> but I love the movie because it's that four skydivers by skydivers kept as close to the roots as Hollywood would get. Mm -hmm. How did you enjoy that one? Well, that is also one of the highlights of my uh, movie career. And I have the same feelings that you do. It's not the best... M well, none of the movies that I work in are necessarily, um, you know... Uh, Oscar material. They're kind of more action films. But this one was definitely not one of the better ones. But I enjoyed it because I thought my part was done very well. Meaning I did 60% of the film as mm -hmm. a director of photography. It's the first time I've done a feature as a director of photography. And therefore I got my credits in front of the movie rather than on the back where where everything is on, on the five minute scroll of names. Um, so that was one of the things that was, I was really proud of. And I was truly the director of photography. I was calling the shots on, on all the... Uh, there was another director of photography for the ground stuff. 
but the aerial stuff was the majority of the film, was 60% of the film. Therefore, uh, I, I was a director of photography of, for that. So, and I was, in a, I was on fire. I was so efficient and so on time and so um, you know, creative and so executing everything, like first takes and right away uh, getting results and all that stuff. Um, there was a lot of political things going on. But you know, I, I, you know, like for instance, it was difficult because as a director of photography, I know what I want, but because I'm not used to working as a director of photography in Hollywood, it's a different union. It's a certain union, um, and I'm normally not in that spot. In this one, I was. The director was my friend, and he was also a skydiver, Guy Manos. Um, and but because of that, I, I'm not used to certain things. Like I know what I want to light a scene, like when uh, the scene of the the, the sky van taking off, or at night. You remember when they were doing the smuggling of the drugs and all that. And um, I don't know what what to call it because they were all like, you know, if you don't if you don't know how to talk the lingo with your crew, they're not going to respect you. And I had to talk to the guys and go like, you know what? I don't know what you call these lights. I don't know what this one's called and that one's called and all the lingo. I really don't care. He says, I I know what I want. If I tell you what I want, could you help me select the light that we need? And where the, some, the person was telling me that I, they weren't going to respect me, I think that's what they liked the most when they said, yeah. when I said, I don't know anything, man. I'm not going to pretend to know what this is called. I just, I wanted to say, hey, give me more light here. And you'll go, I got it. And they'll, and they'll know what to grab. And they'll put it there and give me more light. And if I say I want less, they'll give me less light here, more light there, and more diffused here, and more direct there. And whatever it is I ask them in those terms without having to tell them, you know, what the, n the model number or what the term is for that specific light or, or camera or lens, you know. It's, it's just, I know certain things and certain things I don't, and I don't mind saying I don't know this, but I know what I want. And ultimately, that's what a director of photography, he's got a vision of what he wants it to look like, but is it really that important that I know the name of the light? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, or is yeah. it more important that, uh, that my crew respects me and says, yeah, yeah, well, we got your back and we can... We can cover for you. Just tell us what you want. And that's exactly what happened. So that was one of the things that I experienced in that one. And I, I thought of my, I did a really good job. Um, we were also, I was also in charge of, because there was a struggle on this. There's times when the, 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 the two directors of, of photography, myself and the other guy, were stepping on each other's toes because it's, if there's a gray area, whether it's his territory or my territory. For instance, a shot that you do on the ground of an airplane taking off, is that his territory or mine? Because I'm the aerial, but he, but we're on the ground. You know, So I always fought for as much as I could of that. And one of the things I was responsible for is what we call the seam, which is where every movie has where you have the actors, especially with the technology back then, uh, the actors do the fake stuff, they're pretending to dive or, or they're pretending to be in free fall and it always looks like shit. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that's, that's because there's a certain reason and we studied that a lot before starting production and what it was, the, was that, you know, you go in the sky and you don't go up with lights and diffusers and a crew. You go up really just with a camera on a helmet and the, and the guy in front of the camera or the, the people in front of the camera, however many there are, and you do the best you can with the lighting that Mother Nature gives you. And then you come to the ground, and they whip out all these toys, you know. And I always call it the, the planet of the five suns, you know, because they got, <laughs> <laughs> they got lights coming from every direction. It's like, where, what planet are you skydiving in that has so much light? You know, coming, And they're all looking so pretty and also makeup and all their shit. And it's like, it looks like shit. It looks like it's fake. And that's when you can tell, okay, that's fake. 
So what we were doing and I was responsible for is that scene. And so the struggle was, can we leave our toys in the truck and do it very minimalistic in the ground when they're faking to be skydiving and not over light them and not, and do it very crude. So then it's not such a big jump from a, a shot in the sky with no lighting and no diffusers and no makeup and a shot that was done on the ground. This oh, too beautiful. You know, so that's one of the things that I was able to win that battle. And so the seam is very clean on that. And we also pushed for the actors to do as many jumps as they could, mm -hmm. where in most movies it's like not, not uh, accepted because if they get injured, then the whole movie falls apart. And therefore, we were doing shots and designing shots where the people would go, like for instance, where you see the guy's face, like Stephen Baldwin's face, just before we exit. So you spend a, a one or two seconds on his face, and then you exit, and you go, "Wow, it, it was him exiting." Even if he gets smaller as you exit, you know, and or you get in somebody's face, and, and Stephen Baldwin or or um, or uh, Tom Berenger, and then all of a sudden they deploy, and then you go, "Wow, that was the real guy," you know. So just enough shots so you're buying that it's the real guy, that the real uh, actor doing the stunts, and then you can throw in doubles, and it's easier to sell. So we were doing a lot of stuff like that. That was. Uh, really cool and I and I like being in charge of my department just, I think that's the bottom line a couple of these stories have led to to that where if I'm in charge of my own crew or in charge of then I, I feel that I work uh, I do my best work that way you know so so if you had a chance to do another feature film as a director of photography would you oh absolutely is that something that you would pursue? Is that something you're pursuing, or if it just happened? It it just ha I think it has to just happen. I think it w it would happen if I would create a movie, and if I was if I had uh, the resources to create my own, or or look at somebody else's work and team up with them. Uh, as long as I was a director of photography, but um, it's not it's not something that I have to have. You know what I mean? Like it's not something I'm pursuing. Like oh, this is my life's work. I'm going to do this, and that's going to be my biggest milestone or anything. I, I, I kind of seem to go more like where destiny takes me. You know, what destiny throws at me, that's what I, what I do. And it's not the best approach for sales or marketing or anything like that. You really should be more aggressive with making things happen for yourself business-wise. But to me, this is more like, you know, I, I've done so many things that just landed on my lap, and I kind of like that uh, luck kind of thing. I, I'm a lucky man. You, uh, I think it's blessed you've earned what you've done you've worked hard maybe you've not worked hard for specific goals but everything you have you've earned through hard work um i learned with my wife i, I would say i'm a lucky man and buddies with a buddy of mine specific friend would say never say that because you've earned that every day of the week and every day of the week that you wake up and you feel lucky earn it again and do something to make it worth like man i earned i deserve this and i've watched you for years now you're a hard-working fella yeah, you keep going, man. And it's, <laughs> before we started off the air, I asked you what keeps you going, and it's very apparent now. You got a passion, bud. I yeah, mean, no, for I, life. I, like I say, I'm a lucky man. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, and, I, and it's always, uh, you know, different things, different passions. I'm now I'm finding, um, you know, like it's it's interesting. Like when people ask me, like you you asked me earlier about my non skydiving photography. You know, still photography. But it's another side of me that probably a lot of the listeners don't even know I have, you know, and it's there. And then uh, other things that might be, 
you know, that you, you do. And, and I think that's when people go, huh, he's a, he's a regular person after all, or he's a regular per-. Like, you know, sometimes you see a skydiver and you learn later that they're a doctor or something. You're like, oh, yeah. wow, I would have never imagined you're just a guy in, that jumps with me or something, you know, like a skydiver. But you don't really think of them as uh, the, what, what, who are they uh, on their real job or whatever, you know. Like right, right now I'm involved in, uh, in a venture. Um, we're, we're starting a company that, that sells uh, CBD medicinal Basically, medicinal products. I use CBD, from CBD daily, yeah. Yeah, CBD and uh, and we have a, uh, it's a Quanta, is the product name, and uh, it's a very unique process that, that that we have because it's basically a process where we take the product and other people's product too, not just our own, and mm-hmm. it, it gets processed through a machine. It's called a polarization, and it's uh, through through um, quantum technology and and. And so there's there's a process that happens to to make the molecules be simulated and 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 to a to a rhythm that's the same a vibration that's the same as a human brain and it just makes it a unique product that much more efficient. So I we really like that idea of helping people helping people with their with their pain and all that and and all of a sudden who would you know a, a photographer passionate about that would be all of a sudden uh, you know looking at how to how to help people with a product that uh, that heals and that uh, takes pain away and all that and a lot of it is i discovered it through my own pain and all that too but so i was going to ask I do you use, use cbd oils? oh absolutely i use it I, I use i have we have a muscle rub that i use and we have in fact uh, we're going to have some there on uh, jump for the rose uh, and the proceeds will go for the cause um, uh, i'm good yeah, let's and, yeah. and, and we have a, a vape and we have a um, tincture. The, the uh, we don't do, do it the tinctures. We just yeah. do the the muscle rub and, okay. uh, and a vape. And but that's well, I guess what I'm getting at. And and of course, if anybody wants to uh, to know more about it, because we're just starting, you can contact me at uh, Norman at Quanta Nine dot com. So that's Norman at Q U A N T A Nine dot com. The number nine. Yeah. Okay. The number nine. I wanted. I want to check it out. So why not do a tincture? Well, the reason why we didn't do a tincture, we, our company's actually gone public just recently, uh-huh. so it's a it's a big company, and uh, and we are the laws. Just July seventh, the law changed to where anything that's uh, taken by mouth is regulated in a different way, and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's been forbidden for some somehow. And I'm not a hundred percent sure of how the law reads, but what we decided is, for the sake of the momentum that we have and the direction we want to take the company as far as being public and all that what well, the last thing we need is is something that that all of a sudden that we borders on illegal or anything like that that's one of the things like our products have zero percent uh thc mm-hmm. there's a there's a minimum that's legal point, point z- three yeah point three yeah. yet uh, a lot of people don't even want that because of potential testing and things like that so ours has zero is one of the few products that has zero, and uh, so therefore it's it's the same kind of uh, scenario. You know, we we don't want anything like that. So, um, you know, we just it. had a buddy from a company called Pure Spectrum CBD on the show, mm-hmm. and I've been uh, dealing with a company called Select CBD out of Oregon. Mm-hmm. And um, very recently, Texas has uh, made it illegal to ship anything into Texas. Mm-hmm. So any of these CBD companies that I've gotten products from, I can't get anymore. Not oh, in Texas. Right, yeah. And we talk about the legalization of marijuana in, in society, and quite frankly, I, I'm for it, but I don't care about the legalization of weed for weed, because let's be real. You want weed. You can go get weed somewhere. Yeah. I want CBD oil. I use yeah. it for Medicinal. joint and uh, back pain. Exactly. 
and I didn't realize, I, I call it emotional balance, what it's done for my emotional balance. Absolutely. Man, I am a huge, it's cool to hear that you're Absolutely. a huge advocate as yeah. well. And I hope uh, the laws can get in line because the legalization of marijuana, I can get weed. I can't get this medicine that has zero psychoactive effect. Yeah. Um, what I use is also tested to 0% third-party tested. I I'm definitely want to check out the rub you have because I haven't tried one yet. Mm -hmm. um, but, man, no, I, I didn't know you were into Yeah, absolutely. And it's, like I say, a, a way to do good in that area. And, and um you know, it's it's definitely a medicinal thing, and and it it's it's funny that it's taking this long, and and you were asking about the tinctures and the reason why we shied away from it for for that yeah. reason. We don't want to get into any kind of legal thing that's gonna make change the momentum that we have with the company. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, I'm definitely into the product, mm -hmm. uh, not only as uh, using it because it's done so so much good for me. What you're describing is not only when you when you have good results with pain management which helps your mood in general, but also there's a soothing effect that, that it has from taking this. And it's not something that gets you, it's not like a soothing effect that you get from alcohol when you drink it and you kind of feel different uh, or uh, some other medicine or, or a uh, anti-anxiety medicine. That, you know, it's not like that at all. It's just, it's almost like it, it makes your body more in balance and that's the kind of relaxation. It's not the relaxation that comes from a chemical and not the... Um, synchronization and, and, and everything that comes from just being uh, properly balanced. And that's what I'm talking about. The, the, pr the process that we do on this product helps the, the rhythm of, of, of that be matching the, the human brain and make it um, make the molecules kind of dance to the same rhythm per se. You know, I don't know how else to say it. I wish I had more of the terminology, but it, uh, but it's really something that turns me on and it's in it. It makes you feel that much more relaxed calm and, and and your approach to everything is so much better because of it and sometimes it's just simply the pain management makes you feel in a good mood it's man no doubt uh, my friends my family often question the the feeling the mood altering and it, you really don't feel or notice anything uh emotionally right away but a rabbit you know rabbit mm -hmm. I, i'm betting yeah. Rabbit started taking CBD oils based off of my recommendation. And initially, just like me, he took it for pain management, shoulders in his case, and very quickly found with his shoulders, his shoulders just have other issues. It wasn't helping tremendously, but his emotional well-being, man, I, even keeled is just a good word. I don't, I don't feel down. I don't feel up. I don't feel anything more extreme. I feel just more stable. Mm. Things don't bother me as much. Things don't excite me as much in a bad, like, I love being excited, but my energy levels don't spike because when my energy levels spike with excitement, then I crash. Mm -hmm. So it's just so much more even killed. Great. Well, there you go. There's something we have in common there. Yeah. So. Um, I'm, very I'm very curious. I'll have to ask you more about the uh, vape pen. Um, mm -hmm. Have you tried oil versus vape yourself? Uh, I have tried oil versus vape, but... Um um, I have very little experience with oil just because I, I, I get along with the, with the vape and the, and the rub uh -huh. know, so much. And um, I, I hear a lot of people like that. The, the, way, the reason why there's all these products is because it, when it comes into your system in different ways, mm -hmm. it's kind of a way, uh, way to have it distribute evenly. You know, when you vape, uh, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't replace the, the rub. The rub is very much for localized, uh, uh, you know, um, pain muscle pain, but at the same time, you're getting the CBD benefits into your system. And then when you do the vape, uh, 
it does the same thing. You're, you're, but it goes in through your through your lungs, which is a completely different approach. And it's, you can say that one comes through the skin, one comes through the uh, through the lungs, and then they kind of meet in the middle and balance it all out. And the tincture is something that helps the same. I think it's a little faster the delivery than anything else, and that's yeah. why people like it. But um, because of its legal a- uh, aspects of it, we just don't don't touch it. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, I'm gonna. Have and to a lot check. of people still sell it. Yeah. But there's a theory that you know they're selling the inventory they have, uh, and that the law will come down on them a little more. We don't care if it becomes, uh, uh, you know, if if other people can do it or not. We just don't want to get into a gray area where it might stop the momentum we have for our in- the investors in the direction the company's going because we're 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 gonna we're or gonna for the cause. Good things. Yeah. You know, it's I, I I agree with these companies who are trying to push further and buck the system, and I, and all power to you. But man, at some point, you're hurting the cause by going so extreme. Mm-hmm. Man, you know what? You gave us this much to fight with. We'll fight fair with this, and we'll prove enough with what you've given us that eventually you'll see the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. I like that outlook better. Yeah. I actually had to find a Texas company that stocks the CBD oils that I've been using and buy a bunch of it. Yeah, exactly, can't just in it. case. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I went to buy it from their website the other day. Can't buy it in Texas. They, they won't ship to Texas anymore. Yeah, that's, I think that's part of what's what they're starting with. Yeah. But anyway, maybe we get back into photography. I have a question. Yes. Does anybody, did anybody fire any questions that we that were ignoring? Oh, did we, we're yeah. ignoring? <laughs> Should we try to yeah. do it? We had a, a, a quite a few fans pop in and say hi, and it, oh, really cool. loving the discussion. And I, oh, thank you. I totally agree with the, your passion and everything behind what you do. It's it, it's uh, refreshing to hear. Is that. everybody there? Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming we to visit. Sixteen people right now. All right. Awesome. Yeah. It's um. So I asked Justin what his favorite skydiving scene was. I told you my favorite skydiving scene was really just a movie in general. Whether you shot it or somebody else shot it doesn't matter. What is your favorite skydiving scene of all time in any motion picture? Um, God, I want to say, I want to say the Get Smart ones, the sequence. Yeah? Yeah, I think that would be my favorite. Just because of the, the goofy interaction and it goes back and forth, it, there's a lot going on. Uh, I, I think that's one of my favorites. It's also shot in a style you like. Yeah, it is. Because shot, yeah. you, you shot I mean, I love that she goes and saves him and then goes, I'll be right back, and just oh. cuts him away again and goes for the bad yeah. guy. <laughs> and like, okay, cool. And she, he's like, oh, come back here. You know, I, I love that. And, then, and I love that they, you know, they the bad guy bounces and walks away, kind of like in... Uh, and uh, James Bond, what was his name? Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. Jaws always walked away. In fact, there was a skydiving sequence with Jaws that he, he went through a tent and, <laughs> and bounced. And, and, uh, well, that he, character he, gets marked with basically Jaws, right? <laughs> yeah, and he, he, definitely, uh, he definitely survived it, you know. So, I mean, there's, nobody really dies on it like that. It's, it's kind of a funny thing. So, I think that's one of my favorites. But well, the reason why I hesitate to answer is because uh, I don't think that my favorites are feature films. You know, when I think of my favorites, yeah, it's not. And feature films have some of the things that we were talking about, but there's other things where I go like, oh my god! Even if it's not, um, you know, some of them. And that's what I'm saying. Some of them are like, wow, what a shot, and some of them are like, wow, it doesn't matter what the shot looks like, what an experience, like uh, jumping into the North Pole for for before anybody else did, yeah. uh, or like jumping into the opening ceremonies of the Olympics and providing live transmission to the entire world. Wow. Uh, you know, so all of a sudden you're like, wow, man, all of a sudden my dream of sharing skydiving, uh, and, and here's my transmission, you know, along with a team that was a, that was a team that headed by Tom Sanders, 
uh, he put together, and uh, and I was privileged enough to be a part of the team. And and all, when I landed, I'm like, man, this is like talk about sharing your work, you know. And it's uh, this, in fact, we just received an award. Uh, well, we we're, we're going to receive it uh, we, we, um, in November during the museum's gathering over there in Z Hills. Uh, so there's an award for, for as a team effort for the Olympic team. Was that '88? It was 88, I believe, yes, in, in Korea, Seoul, Korea. And uh, so things like that where you go like, wow, if I look at the shots, maybe they're not as creative. But what they meant for the sport and what they meant for uh, as far as the experience of being there, oh, my God. you know. And the same thing with the North Pole. It's like, wow, I don't think the, the material is super awesome. But, man, talk about an experience. you know. I, uh, I mean, we can do a whole podcast of any of these subjects all on its own you know uh is that much to talk about but those are the kind of things where i go wow and then and then there's the wows that come from like the film willing to fly or from wings can fly prior to willing to fly mm -hmm. which was a film that revolutionized the sport you know through the not only the skydiving was so good and the way we filmed it all color coordinated and i mean i i basically put together the whole thing as far as directing it and um uh, Guy Manos was instrumental on it too, and and and, but in that film, in a time in the sport where everybody was belly flying, and there was a lot of people dropping from the sport, like it was the, they were bored, and and then we introduced freestyle through Diana's uh, you know passion for freestyle, and through this film from Wings King Flight, and it was interesting because the film, there was a friend of mine that wanted to premiere in Canada. He wanted to premiere the, the film. Well, I've never thought about premiering. You just make a film and get a bunch of guys together and the drops on and show it. But he wanted to do a <laughs> premiere, and I thought, oh, that's a cool idea. And he says, well, we're going to premiere it at Turkey Boogie, in, uh, so Thanksgiving Boogie in Zephyr Hills, which is the biggest boogie at the time. It was like 1,200 skydivers would show up. And, and, um, and we couldn't finish it. We worked day and night on the edit, and we just couldn't finish it on time. So then I said, I guess you, you're going to have the world premiere. You, you can have the Canada premiere, but not the world premiere, because it was going to, and like, again, like it was a premiere, like this is a Hollywood thing, but it was just an idea. And he said, no, okay, well, I could take the Canada premiere. And then when we couldn't finish for, for November, he said, okay, I guess my premiere is going to be the world premiere. And I was surprised because we, they flew us to Canada. And uh, this was uh, Sox, who now is uh, working in, uh, helping restore uh, that Mr. Douglas DC-3. And um, he basically, it was a winter, it was not jumping, and he put together a charity event, had about 150 people. Um, so it was a great gathering in, in a big screen to watch this movie. And all of a sudden, we're there, and it's the day before, and Diana and I uh, are looking at each other going, what if the film sucks, man? <laughs> you know, like, what if this really sucks? And uh, and we're we're scared, you know. And then we and we try to show it to the host, the people we were staying with. You know, it's like, hey, can you guys want to see it? You know, you'd be the only one that's seen it besides us. You know, because you, you work on it so hard, and you're working at a, at a microscopic level. You know, frame by frame, it's like, oh, it's one frame off, and you tweak it, and you color it, and you do all kinds of stuff. You kind of lose track of what it looks like from the outside. You know, especially as a first impression. And especially something that people have never seen before, like freestyle. So we showed it. Uh, they, they, we were trying to show it to the hosts, 
And they're like, no, we don't want to ruin the surprise for tomorrow. We're going like, damn, we were hoping for if this sucked that we could tell us today. We just run out of here, you know. <laughs> Let us off the hook. Let us, yeah, tell us today, please. Don't tell us tomorrow in front of 200 people that we suck. <laughs> One of them. So, so then when we showed it in front of the crowd, it, they were like just ecstatic and wanted to see it again. And we're like all these interviews and stuff. And it was like, we're looking at each other like, well, what happened? Like, what do we do? I mean, this is really that good? It's like, and it was a, a primarily, it wasn't a only a good film uh, at a time when Scott Evans, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of films. Carl Benish had died, and but it was also a time when um, nobody had seen freestyle. So everybody saw, they saw freestyle was like, what is this? And how can I do my level, my version of freestyle? And that's where freestyle became the big branch of our sport that opened up the door for other little branches off of that big branch, which are. You know, things like free flying and uh, sky surfing and angle now and all these other things that uh, basically that was the branch that said you don't have to be on your belly to be stable. You can be stable in any position and be in control. And then up to then, anything but belly to earth was considered unstable other than throwing a loop or something like that. So it was really interesting to change the sport that way, to influence the sport that way through a film that I really love, even though it's 30 years old now it did that for the sport. So when you're asking me about my favorites, there's so many, and each one has its own unique, some of them because of what they did to the sport, some of them because of the place it was and the magical experience, and some of them because of the feature film uh, quality, some of them because you transmit it to the whole world, and each one has its own unique reason why they are beautiful and a great experience to have lived, and that's why I'm a lucky man. You, you are so lucky for all these experiences you have. And the thing that you said that this could be another podcast that we really haven't hit on is some of your life experiences on the ground or you, you're, you're in the sky. You've done some incredible things and you've been some incredible places. But to get there through the ground sometimes is going to be an incredible story. Uh, Tom Noonan was visiting and shared the uh, Everest expedition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as awesome as it is to think about skydiving at Everest, the story really is getting there not the skydive at everest yeah man uh we've got some limited time here so i'd like yeah, to ask you one done. favor yeah go ahead come back and do this again and let's share those experiences locations experiences things things you've done you bet i'm happy to do that i, I have hours and hours of uh of stories which is always fun uh part of the the i want to thank you guys for inviting me part of oh, the pleasure you. of doing this is to relive these stories through the questions and answers um, because it's all there. It's all, it's just, uh, somebody just needs to ask the question. And so when you have a, uh, an environment like this that presents the opportunity for questions, then, uh, there's, a, you know, it's a possibility to explore the subjects and, and, and remember them and, and all of that. So I'm happy to come back. I come to, to Texas often, you know, every few times a year for different events, and maybe we can just plan it next time I'm here. Yeah. I'll Unless you guys want to send the jet over, and I'll just come over. Ooh, <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the jets might be on the list. Was there any last questions that you want to poke at or anything? Or Yeah, any of the Facebook stuff? Our Facebook fans get used to the fact that we, that ignore, we ignore them. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A long time ago, they we would ask us We don't us a mean lot. to. We, we <laughs> love you guys. But is there anything we can poke at? Or one single uh, one? Or not, not much Facebook uh, They stopped comments, asking white questions? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't. Really, not much questions. But I, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for the passion you have. You know, really resonates in, uh, in life in general. Like, you, you don't have to take a situation and make it bad it's what you make of it, it absolutely absolutely 100 percent. you know through life not just 
not just skydiving or for photography or anything else. And that really resonates a lot with me. I really enjoyed your attitude and really enjoyed listening to you. It was, it was, it was great. my pleasure. Thank you guys for, for having me here. Mr. Kent, anything else you want to share with the public listening right now? Well, the only thing else I want to share is uh, just to touch back on what we started with, which is the reason why I'm here is to participate on Jump for the Rose event, which is happening here this weekend, starting tomorrow morning. And um, not only it's a great event, and I'm proud to be here, but also um, I encourage everybody to donate some for the cause and buy one of those Jeep tickets. They're 100 bucks, but there's only 500 tickets being sold. And I, and I hear there's still a bunch of open, which means that um, it's a good chance to get it. So don't go to jumpfortherose.org, uh, donate $100, and on the comments or whatever field they have for text there, mention that it's for the uh, Jeep raffle, and also put your phone number, your, te- your, your mobile number, so they can text you a picture of your actual ticket stub. So please donate. Uh, it's a good cause, and that's the reason why I'm here, and that's, that opened up the door for us to have this uh, evening together. Norman, thank you so much, man. You've been phenomenal having it here. White boy, play that funky music. Guys and gals, Gravity Lab Radio, we are out. We'll see you next weekend with Zach Boyd. Till then, peace.